Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. What's the best way to fish like a local? What if you could book a trip with an experienced local guide with the click of a button? Now you can with Fishing Booker. Now anyone can access enjoyable fishing experiences anywhere. Take the legwork out of setting up that trip and explore more than 30,000 fishing experiences at your fingertips. Just go to fishingbooker.com to get started and book your trip with a local guide. That's fishingbooker.com. Fishing Booker. Fish like a local. Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide Armory's products are military and professionally formulated and approved, featuring a groundbreaking graphene-infused ceramic coating that is safe for all surfaces, providing unmatched protection for any firearm. Discover a new standard in gun maintenance. Order your advanced cleaning kits today at RiptideArmory.com. Riptide Armory, relentless performance for your firearms. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode number 33 of the Hunting Collective. I'm Ben O'Brien. Today, I'm joined by Adam Greentree, my buddy from down under. He just so happens to be in America on quite a, I think it's eight-month run of hunting the States with his family, his wife, Kim, and his three awesome kids, who you'll hear at the start of this podcast and uh, they're a perfect family. They're they're an Australian family, that's for sure, but they're a hell of a good time. Adam's a great person. We've hunted all over the world together. One of my favorite folks in the industry. Somebody I admire greatly for what he does and who he is and where he came from. So hopefully you'll learn a lot from that. And you'll learn a lot from Mr. Greentree in episode number 33. Here it is. Welcome to the Hunting Collective. I'm joined today by two special guests, Aaliyah and Noah. Green tree. Green tree. <laughs> yeah. Woo! Noah. Yo. You're famous. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> Aaliyah, you're famous. Uh, no, not really. Not yet. <laughs> but not yet is the proper answer. Yeah. Have either of you ever been on a podcast before? No. No. Never? No. Never. Never. Not even. I'm really good at talking though, so that might (laughs) help. That's good. Okay. That's good. Yeah. And your dad is, who's your dad? Adam Green Green Tree. Tree. Your dad is Adam Green Tree? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What do you know about, what you can tell us about Adam Green Tree? Uh, He's he's a really good person. Oh, that's good. He's a good dad. Yeah. Um, He's a good bow hunter. Probably one of the best in the world. Mm -hmm. Um. Uh, he makes fun of Cameron Haynes' teeth. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does, and it's awesome. Yeah. Uh, is that it? That's the whole bullet no, point No, there's more. It's just, it hasn't came in my head What yet. do you got, Aaliyah? Tell um, me about your dad. Well, my dad is a bow hunter, and yeah. he's really good. He's famous on Instagram. He does really cool stuff, and that I like it. I think dad has cool. a good Cool. Job. He has a good job. Yep. Yeah. 
Too bad Kimmy Grantry's not here. <laughs> yeah, too bad we no. miss with Kimmy Grantry. Tell us yeah. about your mom. What's she um, do? She's cool. She's, she's a bar hunter as well, and she does pretty good. She still needs to learn a lot more things, but she's doing good. She's doing good? Yep. Yeah. That's awesome. Yes. That's awesome. You guys live in Australia? Yeah. But you're here in America? For yeah. six months. Six months in America. We've been here for two months, so that means four months. Yeah. Four, four more months. months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah. So, uh, how do you like America? It's cool. It's cool. The it's McDonald's. Cool. McDonald's is not good though. Not good. <laughs> McDonald's oh is not good. We discussed this. But you do yeah. like the chicken, the McChicken sandwich though. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Oh my god. Aaliyah, do you? What is your opinion on McDonald's in America? McDonald's. It's okay, but it's different than Australian's McDonald's, which I don't really like. But uh, yeah, it's okay. It's okay. Yep. Mm-hmm. What else about America do you enjoy? America's fine, but it's just a lot different than Australia. It has mm. different people. things and yeah. People are different. Like mm-hmm. you would be in the middle of nowhere and you'll still see cars drive past. Mm-hmm. You'll be in the, the middle of nowhere in Australia and you'll see nothing for like a month. A whole month of nothing. Oh yeah, pretty gosh. much. <laughs> yeah. Like true. middle Australia, Western Australia, Northern Territory, that type of area. Like the Kimberleys, you, you want to see anyone. You won't see people. Yeah. You want to say you know, something really nice about America? Yeah, America. Um, America. Yeah, what have you? Tell us more. Yellowstone. Chicken. Yellowstone. Yellowstone. That's great. That's American yeah. treasure. Um, my favorite state so far is Montana and Oregon. Yeah. With uh, that was a hunt with Acubo and stuff, and then uh, and then Colorado. That was really fun. Like, yeah. Yeah. What about Idaho? You like that? Yeah, like, it's fun. It's just we've it's we kind of got sick of it. It's like uh, it's like there's like stuff to do, but once you've done that stuff, it's like no, no, no. And you're getting ready to go to Kentucky. Yeah, it's like we're traveling through like South Dakota, Illinois, Louisville, and stuff like. Wow. To With your dad? Yeah. That's yeah. the coolest Me, thing ever. My older brother Hunter. He's not here. He's slumped out. He's asleep probably. <laughs> <laughs> Aaliyah. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Dad, we're going to travel to Kentucky mm-hmm. in the next few days. Go to the yeah. forget what hunt. <laughs> Whitetail. Yeah, we'll go Whitetail in Kentucky with mm-hmm. Acubo. Acubo. Now, before you guys, uh, you guys have to go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But before you go, could you just give me one thing you've learned about America? One piece of American, like a fact, your favorite fact about America that you've learned during your time um, in the U.S. The people are crazy. <laughs> that's not a fact, but we'll go. That's an opinion. <laughs> we'll go with that. Aaliyah. I don't really have an opinion, but yeah, there is people are different here than Australian people. There's different accents here, which is... Slang. Completely different slang. Like, you guys, you probably don't even know what I'm saying right now. Yeah, <laughs> probably no, I, haven't, I haven't understood a word you've said yeah, since we've yeah. met earlier It's a today. bit bent, but... Yeah, I heard my name, basically. Ben? That was it. Oh, Brian. That's right. So you don't, didn't learn anything about like the founding fathers, maybe public lands uh, or anything like Christopher that? Christopher Columbus. Yes. I think he, I'm not sure this is, I'm kind of guessing, but he discovered Columbus and Ohio first. They kind of recognized That's it. a good guess. We're going to stick with that. Columbus got to Columbus first. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Because he's not Aaliyah. Christopher Columbus. Yes. Do you have any historical uh, information to provide that you've learned during your time in America? Sorry, but no. No. I don't. <laughs> learned, she's learned that she's a slow learner. It's terrible. She's Here. a slow learner. <laughs> homeschooling. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, that's uh, homeschooling is 
hard. It will mm, not really. It depends. So my homeschooling is kind of different to everyone else. I so whatever state we like travel or like go through or go past, I write like ten facts about that state. Mm-hmm. So like, uh, let's just say for example, uh, uh, Montana, the capital's Helena. The population is like three point four six million people. Well done. Yeah. Well done. That was the the three point six million people was you're, kind of a guess. You learn. It's something like that. And well, listen, we appreciate you being in our country. Yeah. And letting your dad hang out with us. Yeah. Hunt with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so sick. It's sick. But you need to come to Australia. I'm like, coming to Australia. And Joe Rogan and Steve Ranella. You guys just need to come. To Maybe Australia. we'll just all go on Netflix together. Yeah. Meat eater. Meat eater. Yeah. Yeah, you guys were asking who in the office here is a Netflix actor, and really, it's only Steve Ranella. Yeah, I'm well, like second. There's film. like there's like people that like kind of like film and like are yeah. like featured on Medita. That's right. Yeah, that's like right. you. Yeah, I, yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So. Too bad Adam Grantry isn't, but okay. But you never know. <laughs> never know. <laughs> never know. Okay. Never know. Well, thanks for joining us. Yeah, we're, we're gonna, gonna bring your dad on now. Yeah, we're gonna yep. see if all of the things you said are true. Yeah. Fact check. If not, you might want to bring me in again because I'm just such a good talker. Like, not trying to pull myself up. Like, I'm the best talker in the world right now, currently. Currently. Rankings. First is Adam Gr- uh, Noel Grantree. Then Steve Ranella. His voice is one that makes you go to sleep. Um, <laughs> now, oh how old God. are you, Noah? Give the people. I'm uh, uh, 69,000 trillion. <laughs> no, I'm actually 11 years old. Elite 11 you years are. young. I am nine years old. Her birthday was like a month ago, 16th yeah. of September. Uh-huh. Perfect. Well, happy birthday. Thank you. Like a month later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. You're welcome. You're welcome. Ben. Oh. Right. Bye. Mr. Greentree. Mr. O'Brien. How you doing? I'm doing really well. You are? Yep. I'm probably at the peak of my life or the highlight of my life right now i'm telling you dude your family is awesome yes they are awesome i know this that's yeah. why they're my family that's right <laughs> they're not mine yes now when we were just we had lunch here in bozeman and i was driving down the road and i saw like that looks like a nice family like i saw this like picturesque family hugging each other mm. skipping down the road happy as hell and i'm like that's freaking green trees that's man. the green trees and that's after me and kim just had a argument and we're still like that <laughs> <laughs> what's the secret I don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. I think the secret is uh, fighting for one another, truthfully, just fighting yeah. for one another, you know, and like not losing your shit over the little things and just talking them through and trying to benefit one another and be positive. And, you know, if, if uh, one of us isn't positive, then that other person's trying to push them in a positive direction. Yeah. And, you know, like nothing good comes easy, right? Yeah. That's the thing, you know. So you're like, there's so many relationships that you just see the ass end fall out of so fast because they're not willing to work towards something. Kim's not perfect. I'm not perfect. And it's like, do you have a good friend that you've spent enough time with that is, you, you know, you'll find something that you don't agree with? with of them? course. You know, so imagine, because we're all strangers, essentially, aren't we? Yeah. You know, and then we're well, straight into the deep and meaningfuls in this podcast. Far out. This is a, this is a, this is where we go. But, get. um, <laughs> You know, like your own family, you'll find disagreements with. Of course. You know what I mean? And like before I met Kim, she was just a stranger and now we live in our whole lives together. So, of course, there's going to be things that you don't agree with. 
you know, all that things that person might do that, you know, yeah. you dislike, but just get over your own shit and work through it. <laughs> you can tell, man, like you can tell when somebody truly loves the person they're with, mm. like not just loves the idea of marriage or loves the idea of having kids, but truly like life is made better by that yeah. circumstance. Yeah, 100%. And it's not, it's not fake. Yeah. There's no... And in the age of social media, which you're well aware of, things can seem fake. Yeah, yeah. So, well, Kim's been with me when I've been broke as hell, right? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, if she was with me at that point, I'm still broke as hell right now because I spent all my money on hunting. But (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, you know, if you can go through that hard struggle, you know, together, we've been like we've had no vehicle, we've had no money for public transport, sort of broke. And you still love and cherish each other through that. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I think you know most people see that I'm doing a podcast with you and expect us to tell all kinds of hunting stories and talk about what broadheads we're using and how mm. to kill the animals and all that stuff. But quite honestly, like I think people, I don't know how. I know you've talked about this some, but the, your story of where you started and where you are today is the one thing about you mm. that amazed me the most. Like flat out amazing um and i think you well know this we probably talked about this before but the the struggles that you've gone through have made you such a freaking like pressure makes a diamond yeah like, yeah even when it comes to hunting yeah you talk about like you deal with hardship you know better than anybody i've ever seen mm. and it, almost embrace hardship like that's just a part of life yeah i'm, I'm gonna go and tackle it yeah i think you get so used to something yeah like that's what i think it is you get so used to it that like i actually crave it now and and actually it's probably not that i crave it it's just that it doesn't feel that hard you know because i'm so used to it yeah. you know it's like if you if you were born in the dark and at night time <laughs> wouldn't bother you yeah do you know what i mean so yeah. to live through and i always think it's not going to kill me even though some dumb things that i do nearly do kill me but you know it's like I'm, it's not going to kill me it's like the cold yeah. you know like you get up in the morning and camp or whatever and no one wants to get out of their sleeping bag and then you get out and just your underwear and you walk around in the snow. It's like, it's not going to kill me. Like, <laughs> I'm going to put clothes on soon. It's fine. Yeah. It's just that little bit of discomfort. Yeah. yeah shit. I, but then just the willingness to to run at it, mm. right? Rather than just, oh, there it is. There's danger over there. I'll, I'll, I, can, I can avoid that and I'll be fine over here. But, you know, even when you and I hunted New Zealand together, you know, you were getting close to tar that I probably would have never even went after. Yeah, yeah. I'd be like, ah, it's too far. Oh, man, I can't go across that shale. I can't bear across a shale cliff and run mm. across some ice and pop over and shoot a tar. I won't even go over there. Mm. And I remember watching you or hearing stories about you going and doing those things and thinking, hmm, that's a different mindset. Yeah. That's a different willingness. Yeah, it definitely is. I, um, a lot of people ask me about, you know, how, like how am I regularly successful? Because I'm not a great shot. I'm a good shot. Yeah. I'm not a great shot. But it's the time that I put in and go on to places that other people probably won't yeah. regularly go that, you know, I always put it down to that. You know, I'm good at reading animals. I'm good at getting into places, you know, that are like well in the back country and things like that. Yeah. And and I put a lot of my success down to, you know, go on that extra mile. Yeah. No, I would agree with that. Well, you, when you were – you had a tough childhood. Let me mm. just put it that way, right? I mean, we talked about this. You told me a story, you know, early probably last year, year before, and it stuck with me for a while because I thought, shit, like, is as great as your life is right now. There is 
so much learning that everyone could do from yeah. what you went through prior. So yeah. where were you born? How did it start? You know, give me your your early, early life. Yeah, so I was born in Newcastle in New South Wales, Australia. And that's pretty much where we've lived for the last few years as well. And uh but my parents had uh their job was like caretaking big ranches, like we call them stations in Australia, but big ranches and uh but my father had a little bit of a different childhood than me. He had a good – like my grandfather was a brilliant man and my nan, you know, very loving people. But I think my father grew up uh, around some bad alcoholics and, you know, maybe a little bit of mental illness in the family as well. There's an uncle of mine, Uncle Chas, and uh, I'll, like I'll tell you one of the stories so you yeah. sort of understand where this man is. But there's a fa- family barbecue and like the whole family's over there. And uh, my Uncle Chas is cooking on the barbecue and they have like a little fox terrier, like a dog. And it runs around and it barks a couple of times and no one thinks anything of it. Like, whoop-de-doo, it's just a dog having a bark. And the next time the dog runs past him, he picks it up by the back legs and swings it over his head and cracks its, cracks its head on the concrete and kills the dog. Jesus. Like, it's like... That there's something wrong there. Like some that guy's not wired properly. I've never had anything to do with him, but my father did. I think he was around him a lot. And my father, sort of real bad alcoholic, and got into it for like I still don't know the you know the reason or explanation. Is it part of mental illness or what it is? But um, so my dad just uh, hit alcohol really bad, and then in return he'd get really violent against my mother or, or us kids and. And uh, another one, I'll give you an example of my father. He'd come back uh, drinking. This is when we lived like in rural New South Wales, like out in the middle of nowhere. He'd come back drinking from the country pub and a dog that we had, Gypsy, she just had a litter of pups and the pups were yelping every now and then. And my mum, my dad comes home and my mother's, mother's crying over my father not returning when he was supposed to return and comes back drunk and violent and he thinks it's the the dogs you know and this is like i'm like five or six years old and he walks out to the back door with the gun and like shoots all the puppies like in front of me and my older sister my younger sister wasn't born yet and but it just goes to show how you know that sort of violent that man was and us kids end up going through that violent with him you know we 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 weren't shot but basically we were the puppies yelping and um then as I got a bit older, because he ended up being in and out of jail for like violence and stuff like that. So I sort of grew up without a father figure from about seven years old onwards. Um, and I actually was probably going into a dark place myself as I was, you know, hitting my later teens and things mm-hmm. like that. And I started going camping more and like fishing, like outdoors things. And I just, you know, it just, I don't know, it was my escape. It was how I got away from, you know, even my own you know, miserable thoughts, let alone someone I didn't want in my life. Because what that does when a family separates, especially in Australia, it puts you in another worse place. You know, if you're a single mother with three kids like my mum, she had to live in like really a really cheap community, like basically what you have in America as the projects. Mm -hmm. We'd live in housing commissions and generally those those areas, like those towns um, or suburbs, it's all housing commission. So it puts a certain person, people in that area, you know, and there's a lot of violence. And uh, I said it on someone else's podcast that 
um, before I was like 13 or 14 years old, I'd witnessed murder, rape, uh, suicide on multiple occasions and stuff like that. And and one of the cases I was actually the only witness to a rape that had happened, it happened like at my house and the girl, she didn't want to come forward. She was so embarrassed about it, what had happened. And uh, that guy ended up getting off scot-free. Wow. Nothing ever happened to him. So anyway, I'm just... You know, it's like if you grew up not eating your vegetables, you know, that's for your, like, physical health. When you grow up in an environment like that, that's your mental health. You know, yeah. it's like you're not getting fed vegetables for the brain, yeah. seeing all that violence and stuff like that. But how I came out of it really was through, you know, originally the outdoors and especially, you know, bow hunting, like I just bow hunt, as you know, because it would take me deeper into the woods, you know. It would ground me further to you know, the outdoors yeah. and that really helped me. And then obviously, you know, meeting Kim and because I grew up very simple where I just, I, I want, like wanted a couple of things, you know, it was like a four drive to go four driving, like get me outdoors. And, you know, I wanted a wife and my own family so I could prove to myself more than anyone that I wasn't my father, you know, I wasn't that violent drunk and I don't drink. Yeah. still to this day because of, you know, even though I'm not like I did drink a little bit in my teens, even though I'm not a violent drunk, I'm a happy drunk, It's it, it turned me off drinking so much sure. because sure. I would see my father go from the best man that I knew to the worst man that I knew through drinking. Yeah. You know, and uh, look like it was that switch. He has an actual problem with drinking. Like I'm not saying everyone does because lots of people drink and they're absolutely fine on it but – my father it does something that switches a different switch where he becomes yeah. you know he's got to turn to violence and yeah and you spent time on the street time yeah homeless yeah i was basically. homeless i was homeless when i was 14 years old so like 14 to 15 i was homeless and i ended up going and living with a very loving auntie of mine and uh, she put me back in school and things like that and it was just a much better environment but um i don't know i just kept slipping off the train tracks and you know sort of once I could just walk out and go hunting myself, that that made yeah. the big difference. And then obviously Kim and the kids. Do you ever, you, know, do you ever feel like in those situations where you – I mean, I, th- I think I know the answer to this. You're, there's some desperation to get out. I mean, is that your daily motivation or you feel like this is my life and I'm – you know, you didn't accept where you were, obviously. I, I was just never happy with where I was and, and to the point where I'm like, I would constantly think I only live once. This is another wasted day. You're in the trash. You don't want to be here, you know. And then (laughs) when you get put in a position like that, you know, like where you don't have finances, you don't have food, things like that, because like talking about living on the streets, you don't have time to think about those better things like going outdoors, you know, or finding a good girl or something like that, you know, or benefiting your life as in getting a job and things like that. You there's only enough time in the day to think about when's my next meal coming, when am I sleeping tonight, how am I keeping warm, you know, and there's all dangers that come on living on the streets. There's other people on the streets as well. There's other people that try and rob you and all sorts of things, you know, so it's like there's you, you don't have the comfort to think of how you're going to benefit your life, you know, in the yeah. long term. It's just how am I benefiting my life today because you're hungry. Yeah. You know, like you don't realize how good it is to eat food until you're starving hungry to a point that you can't go and get it. Yeah. Like if we're hungry now, we'll walk next door and oh, get something from the cafe. Go on your phone. Exactly. Somebody bring it to yeah. you. Yeah. 
Yeah. yeah. Take all that away. Yeah. Where you don't have money to buy food, you know, you don't have hunting or you don't live on the land to just go and get food. And that's why I think it's also so, so appealing to be able to go out now today and, you know, go and shoot a deer and have meat or if, even if it's like bush tucker or food, you know, from the forest, whatever it is, berries or something. <laughs> that's why that's so appealing and feels good because I've been at the complete opposite end when there's, when there's nothing on the street. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's got to change you. I mean, there's no way it doesn't. It, mm-hmm. Especially – I always like to talk about perspective. Like wilderness provides, you know, unique perspectives. Places mm-hmm. you've gone, things you that you and I've done together provide perspective on being here. You're sitting in traffic. You're like, ah, no problem. Yeah, yeah, at least, yeah, yeah. At least I'm. A, at least <laughs> my is, kids are in the back screaming. Yeah. At least they're there. Yeah, this you know? is actually not an issue. This is yeah. something not to be upset about. So. And like, yeah, and that's why, why you know, your that part of your story is as important as your current state mm. because your ability to be happy i think is in my observation is drilled down into mm. your perspective on life and yeah. what it could be definitely what it yeah. was for you yeah and i think our modern society lacks some fucking perspective i a lot think of times. there's a there's just this whole culture that just takes everything for granted yeah you know like it's a, even a light switch fresh water out of a tap you know, and you only need to go for it. You don't have to live on the streets. You just need to go for a trip to Africa. Yeah. Like Mozambique or Zimbabwe or somewhere like that. You know, and you go into these villages where they don't have money to buy a blanket when it's cold. Yeah. But even if they did have money, there's no one making blankets. Yeah. There's no, <laughs> there's no, rea- there's there. no reality where yeah. it gets warmer for you yeah, yeah. via blanket. Yeah. Now, when we went to Nepal, it was much like that. Mm. You just realized that this, you know, we had a, a the example I always use is there was a guy chopping down this giant oak tree, this giant live oak tree. I mean, it's big around his table. And he was just had an old rusty axe and he was whacking this tree. And I thought, this dude has no concept of a chainsaw. Mm. And no one around here has even seen a chainsaw. Yeah. And here this guy is, that's just his life. Yeah. He gets up in the morning and chops at this tree for probably 12 hours mm-hmm. and goes home and sleeps in the dirt. Yeah. Doesn't know any different. Doesn't and still any, probably happy as anything. <laughs> playing the flute in the morning, yeah. dancing around at night, happy as ever. Like the human condition, that human condition is way simpler. Yeah. And there's no existential freaking, you know, problems like we have in our Definitely. modern world. Yeah. So I think maybe that's why I'm happy to embrace the what could be considered the misery of the wild as well. Yeah. Because it's like I'm I'm happy doing this. I'm definitely happy turning on the light switch at home. Yeah. Flushing a toilet. Well, there's like voluntary misery is mm. you get perspective on voluntary misery when you've had it forced upon you. Yeah, exactly. Like when yeah. you don't have anything, yeah. going out and intentionally not having anything mm. is an exercise in like mental health. Yeah, definitely. Gotta yeah. be. Yeah, 100%. Has yeah. to be. Yeah, I always feel like it's like physical for the brain. Yeah. You know, you go through these different challenges and, you know, voluntary toughness, you know. Yeah. Where you're going out into the wild and just, you know, sometimes maybe experiencing things that you weren't planning on it, but you just deal with it. You know, you put the puzzle together and you deal with it and then it's like, ah, yes, yes, I did it. Constant wins. They're like constant Uh, Mount Everest that you conquer. No, I was just, we were just, had Shane Dorian last time. We were hunting in Hawaii and him and I were sitting up on this vista looking down across this area, beautiful area. And, and I think both at the same time, we just thought like, we are more comfortable here. Oh, definitely. Yeah. We are more happy 
and enjoy here in a place where we don't have an inside. We don't we sleep in a tent. We're eating kind of what we kill mm. and whatever we brought. But we're way more comfortable here than sitting in a restaurant. Yeah, definitely. Shane's a special human, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Special human. Yeah. It's amazing, dude. And then, uh, you and I have been through that in New Zealand. Like you, I mean, there's just, there's just a different feeling mm. and you're just a happier freaking human being. Yeah. And Yesterday, me and Kim, more of a uh, tourist location, but yeah. myself, Kim, and the kids were at the Boiling River in Yellowstone there. And so it's like where the the water's like boiling out of the ground, like it yep. will third degree burns if you stick your hand in it. And it's running into that freezing cold, like ice melting stuff, you know, coming out of Yellowstone. And there's the mix of the water and you get in the right place and it's just the perfect temperature, like sitting in a hot bath. And it's hailing, like we're in there, all the kids, it's hailing, the hail and, you know, it's absolutely freezing, but it's like only on our heads, the rest of our bodies under the water. And then you've got like this unbelievable landscape the whole way around you, snow-capped mountains, you know, just jaggedy as anything. And we both sort of looked at each other and we're just like, have a think where we are and what we're doing right now. Like this is absolutely amazing and it's like fuel for the brain, you know. So, yeah. You know, memories to last a lifetime. Yeah, if you can do – if you're in a position where you have the ability to do that, you're in this beautiful place and you stop once or twice a day and just look around. Like, Take wait, it in. Wait a minute. Yeah. Wait a minute. Yeah, this is as good as it gets. Sure, this coffee sucks. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sure, this coffee sucks. Sure, yeah. my shoelaces are out of my shoe. But look yeah. the fuck around. Yeah. How lucky are we? So get – so you're you, – We've covered the sort of the miserable part of your life. And at some point, things started to change. Mm. When when did you notice or when did you start to feel like your life was going in the direction that you felt was necessary? As soon as I started going out into the wilderness more, you know, that was a big part because that starts to say that you're getting more comfortable in life as well. So I got a job. I just – I wanted to – wanted to work towards having a good job, good income because I realized, and this sort of sucks in our society, but unless you're living off the grid in some form, you know, and it usually takes money to even get to that point where you can live off the grid. Oh, sure. Unfortunately, you need a good job to do things in today's society, you know, especially if you want to travel the world, things like that. You know, or even if you want to travel your own country, fuel costs money, a car costs money, insurance. There's, there's, no matter what, there's money capitalizing in some way yeah. against you because yep. everything's starting to cost money. You go in the Yellowstone, it costs. You got to pay you know, to get in. You got to pay to get pay to get in there. Yeah. Uh, you got to in this country at least. You got to pay for tags and licensing and everything like that. So you do need a job, you know. And so I started working towards getting a job, and then. And I had a couple of like jobs, just like I had. I worked at Foot Locker, and uh, and I was going to ask you to go through all your yeah, job, yeah, all yeah. your jobs prior to the one you yeah, have yeah. now. Well, actually, I I dropped out of school early because I got back in the school, and uh, mum and dad got back together somehow. I don't know friggin' why or how that happened, but mum and dad got back together, and they you know I got back in the schooling and stuff like that. I actually fell out of school because all those years of being in rural Australia, I didn't have a lot of schooling and I was actually deaf in one ear and they didn't know. They just thought I was disobedient in, in the class but I actually couldn't hear what the teacher was saying. And it was really tough schooling when I did go because 
there was like one classroom because like very remote. So all the country kids would come in, and there was one like place, yeah. I think there was like twenty six, twenty seven kids in the one school, and of all different grades. So you, the teacher just come and spend a bit of time with you, or give you a little bit of paperwork if you're old enough to read and whatnot. You know, they thought I was really disobedient, but I just couldn't hear because they didn't pick up that I was completely deaf in one ear. And so I lacked in a lot of schooling and uh, ended up dropping out because I just couldn't catch up. And um, where was I even going with this? I just started thinking about the school. Footlocker. Footlocker. (laughs) Sorry. I dropped out of school and went landscaping. Yeah. And I went from landscaping to fencing, you know, like domestic fencing, wooden timber fences and stuff like that. And through that, I actually learned to work really hard because I was on like, you'd get paid per lineal meter. Yeah. You know, it was like peanuts. It was like a dollar fifty a lineal meter. So that nail gun had to be going off like an AK, you know, it had to be going. <laughs> boop, 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 boop. Anyway, I learned and I was making good money out of it and then the building game sort of crashed a bit and ended up getting the job at Foot Locker and I ended up meeting Kim. She worked at Supre, so that like that all worked out. <laughs> like in the mall you guys met? Yeah, in the mall, yeah. <laughs> But I hated it because wait a minute, wait, go back that up, back that up. We ain't <laughs> jump, really? we ain't jumping over that. Okay. Uh, well, you met at the mall. This is like at the food court. But like, so I was my little sister's guardian when I was like eighteen, and uh, actually before I was even legal, I was like her unlawful guardian because uh, my mother had left to another city. And my sister, they didn't get along at all. So I ended up looking after my little sister, but I couldn't give her any money for lunch or anything because she'd spend it on smokes or some junk that she didn't need. So uh, on my lunch break, I would go and give her some money for lunch or take lunch to her. And she was actually at Supre and Kim was the boss there. She was the the manager. I just went in and seen this, you know, good-looking blonde girl or whatever and <laughs> and uh, – you know, I've never been shy and I just asked her out straight away and she sort of freaked out. She just met me or whatever. And then, yeah, we ended up going out for dinner that night and we're actually pretty much been together ever since that first night. How old were you then? 18. 18. Yeah. And was, Kim was 19. 19. Mm. And her background was not, uh, was a little more stable than yours? Definitely. Kim had a car already <laughs> sort of thing. And no, uh, she wasn't a guardian of anyone yet? No, no, 19. she wasn't a guardian of her siblings. But um, And then it was like meeting the Brady Bunch, like Kim's family, you know, like going back and like, you know, roast meat and like roast vegetables and beautiful cooked meal and like no swearing in the house and the house clean and tidy and in a good location and like it was like, actually really foreign to me you know and that wasn't appealing like it's not like that's not why i chased kim that wasn't the appealing part i had no idea but uh, you know as things turned out you know kim comes from a broken family as well where her parents are separated and things like that and but you know like still absolutely lovely family just on a different level no violence or anything like that and just really comfortable household and uh yeah now we're married and now it's been married. like 19, 20 nah, years. 20 like we've years, seriously yeah. been together for that long. That's crazy. Well, I'm 38. I'm 38, years? so 20 years. Yeah, don't let her know you're not <laughs> sure how many <laughs> years. Right. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, so I'll end up working at Foot Locker yeah. and I hated because I'd push sales 
I hated it was like lying to someone, like, oh, you look really good in those shoes and <laughs> you should buy a pair of socks and a shirt. Oh, too. yeah. You know what you need with those shoes, an extra yeah. pair of shoelaces. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Multi sales. You got to shine co- them up. I couldn't do that. I yeah. didn't sit right with me at all. I didn't like it. And there was no money in it. It was peanuts and we weren't going anywhere. And then I started, I went back into construction and I started my own business in Canberra, which is the capital of Australia. And same, it was like the, that's the whole building industry in in Australia, like booms and drops and booms and drops. And it's like you never had a comfortable income and it, and it was like we'd pay for the bills for that month and you'd be left with $0, yeah. like maybe a bit of fuel to go somewhere and we'd travel. And, and when I say travel, I only mean like three or four hours <laughs> somewhere and come back. And um, Western Australia had all these jobs advertised because the mining was booming in Western Australia and, I ended up going to going over to Western Australia like a big move. That's like a three or four yeah. day drive yes. from where I lived in Australia. It's nothingness. And it is like there's like the city of Perth and then nothing, just the picturesque coastline where the desert runs into beautiful water. Yeah. And I'm trying to talk you and Ranella into coming over <laughs> at the coming. moment to do that. I'm coming, man. It's such a beautiful destination. But um, yeah, and then we went over there and all the good money that was advertised wasn't that good and it was the same, we'll just make an ends meet and we'll actually even fallen behind a bit. But then right up north in Western Australia, so like the northwest where it's like, re- like I mean remote, yeah, like 18 hours drive without going past any sort of city or decent sort of population. And we went up there and the money was a little bit good, better but not great and I was doing all these big hunts as well and I would go away from work so i'd go hunting for a week that was no income for a week yeah you know we just we'd had hunter my eldest and i think um we'll plan on having other kids and it's like this just isn't working and i started thinking what are you got to do well you got to start your own business you got to have something where when you step away you know the wheel keeps rolling and money keeps coming in and that's what i ended up doing i ended up starting my business and it, you know i worked very hard at it and there was a Good period there where I did very little hunting, got it all rolling and then, you know, now it sort of runs itself and yeah. I can go away and, and, you know, everyone's like, how do you get sponsored? You, How do you get sponsored? You sponsor yourself. Yeah. Because you, you end up spending your own money. Like You get yourself out there. You get yeah. yourself out there. But that's the, like, I think that's key to your success story. The story of your life, the key to how you had successes is you got to a point where you were paying bills. Mm-hmm. You had a family you cared about, and then fairly quickly, quickly than quicker than most people, you turned around to having a very successful business that allowed you to mm. provide for that family in a way that you'd never been provided for, and do what you wanted to do, do what you were passionate yeah. about, which is yeah. hang out with them and go hunt. Mm. Like that's you're you're not even forty. Yeah, yeah. And twenty some years ago, you were. You know, in poverty, broke on the bitch. street, broke as a bitch. Yep. So I think that's to me that's important for people to know about you. And yeah. To, to understand, you know, no matter how hard something might seem, that it can quickly turn into something pretty kick ass. Yeah, I'm glad I did it that way. Now, now that it's done with, <laughs> it's easy to say. Like I'm glad I earned it that way because I appreciate everything so much, you know, and I don't take anything for granted. And I realize how lucky I am. And I realize how quickly I could go back to that as well. Yeah. You know, because just nothing's made up in this world. You know, I don't know what tomorrow holds. Yeah. But that's another reason why I'm so happy for today. 
you know. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. At O'Reilly Auto Parts, they offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. Man, I'm always swinging through my uh, local O'Reilly Auto Parts to get stuff ranging from car parts and accessories to boat batteries. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. And if you're a do-it-yourselfer and need a specialty tool to finish the job, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and ask about their loaner tool program. Simply pay a refundable deposit and borrow the right tool, then get your deposit back when it's returned. That way you don't have to go buy some you know, super expensive thing that you need like once every five years. Just borrow it and get your refund back. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fixed, or quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Lately, I've been telling you guys about Land.com, the site that can help you find that little patch of ground to call your own where you can do all the hunting, fishing, hanging out with family you want. Land can be a great investment. Getting your own piece of land is something that can both generate income over time and also generate a lot of memories for generations to come. It's an investment you get to use and enjoy and take care of while it works for you. And any good investor will tell you to start investing sooner than later. Well, they've got hundreds of thousands of rural listings from all across America. Land.com can help you find properties for hunting, fishing, a lake house, a hobby farm, or if you just want to start a rental business slash family compound as a way to better secure future generations. Land.com will also help connect you with the right agent that specializes in rural real estate. So enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. Yeah, I don't know if you're like me, but now my kid, I only got one kid, but he's getting older, and I'm, I stay up at night sometimes just thinking about like what his future is going to be. Yeah, and like that's on me. Yeah, that is on me yeah. to make sure that thing is good. Yeah, like, definitely. And you've only got so long to influence them in. Yeah, you know, and that's like my biggest fear is the future and my kids. You know, and it's like I'm not a person that fears much or thinks about much, but I'm just like, like I worry for our future generation yeah i definitely do you know and it's like and 
and kids will f- trip you out because they're they're not you. They're not you. They are to a certain age and then it's like who are they hanging out with though because it's hard to monitor them in school yeah. and things like that. And so far we've been very lucky that like Hunter, my eldest son who's in high school, he's just gotten in with a good crowd, you know, like the other kids at school. We've met them all and things like that that he hangs with and they seem to be really sensible and, you know, and it's, it's. I remember when I was growing up there was some real – shoddy kids at school you know like there was kids that were already sort of into doing drugs and things like that and it's like and i was i sort of fell in with that crowd for a while as well you know i'm just lucky that i'm uh, you know strong-minded person that i could sort of get out of that and i did because i was like yeah this it's constant drama there's something constantly happening you know uh i think i do you call it wag school here where you skip school Skip school. Yeah, like I skipped school for like 29 days in a row when I was in high school and every day was just going out with these kids and getting up to mischief and and I suppose there was a little bit of peer pressure there, you know, to keep doing that. Yeah. You know, because it's like, oh, but they're my friends and stuff like that. And then somewhere along the line I just went, I've got to stop hanging with this crowd. I've got to stop doing this. This isn't good. I've had – my dad tells the story that, Somewhere during college, because mm. I was always a C plus B plus. Dude. I was always the dumbest kid in the smart class, mm. or the kid that didn't apply himself in the smart class. Uh, somewhere during college, I think I walked up to my dad. I'm like, "Listen, man, I'm tired of this bullshit. I'm going to get all A's from now on. Like, I'm just going to now. I'm just going to apply myself because I'm tired of what yeah. has been happening yeah. in my life." And I did. And he tells that story. Like, I don't remember that, but he does. Yeah, that's awesome. And um, I've got a lot of friends that my hometown back in Maryland is basically. Is straight up uh, a heroin den. Yeah. Like opiates are a problem. And I've got half a dozen friends that are either in jail or dead yeah. from high school or, or earlier on. And I always think about like those guys were me. We were this, we grew mm. up in the same place with, with both, all with, you know, good parents in the same little area. But some of them, like I took, I decided not to, and they didn't decide not to. Do you think everyone, do you think everyone can make that decision, but they don't? Because that's what I struggle with. I'm Me like, too. how did? Me too. Because so many people grow up like I do, and they just follow their fathers or their mothers' just, footsteps, exactly the same. Like, how did I get to veer off? How did I make the decision? I don't want to be yeah. like that, but other people don't. Me too. Because it seems like everyone would be aware that oh, this isn't a good lifestyle. Yeah. No, everybody. I think everybody's aware that that these environments are negative mm. when you're in them you're aware and i wasn't in a, a negative environment but drugs were around things were around that i knew if i continued down this road it's not good mm. but some people i i wonder if it's just a space and time thing you think this is a stage of my life this is fun right now these are my people right now i'll mm. eventually get out of it and then you never do you die or you go to prison or that becomes your life and you can't get out yeah and some people stop and think wait a minute this is there's a turning point here in my life. That yeah, I can either go down this path, and it can be, it can become my life, and I it's going to be shit, or I can mm. turn things around. There's definitely a recipe that puts you into that position, and it's like when you are living off welfare or or something like that. That there's a lot more negativity around you, and it seems it's like the easy way out. Like, oh, yeah. well, I'll just take drugs or whatever. Or uh, there's a recipe there that pushes people into that 
position, you know. Yeah. And and like I just always struggle with that I'm because I'm no better than anyone else. But how how do they make that decision? I want to know what it yeah. takes, what it took to make that decision. And if everyone can make it, then why aren't they? Because that's not a future that's good for anybody. No. You know? And the odds are stacked against you. In your situation, the odds were absolutely stacked against mm. you. I mean, and then the odds were not in my position. I was, my parents were well off. We lived in the suburbs. I, the odds were not stacked against me. Mm. I mean, I could have gone the way that some of my friends went, um, but none of our odds were stacked up like yours were. Yeah. But there's many, many people in situations just like you were that either don't see the way out or just don't have the fortitude to yeah. take it or make the path. I always feel like there's, there's something mentally going on you know, wherever, wherever it's a little bit mentally stronger or, or something, but I'm very, like, I'm always very headstrong, you know, like that one voice, if something inside my head says I can't do it, fuck you, I'm going to give it my best. Yeah. And if I die doing it, like that sort of headstrong. And I, uh, you know, my I spent my last, well, I spent a long time in my life being around people like you and people mm. like Rogan and pe- just very successful people. And, you start to see similarities. Yeah. And that's one of them. Yeah. For sure that's one of them. It's just this unrelenting need to to climb the mountain. Mm-hmm. Climb that Even if the mountain is way taller than you can even see. Yeah. It's like, I'm just going to keep climbing. Yeah. You know? And then eventually you get to the top. Yeah. And some people stop halfway up. And they don't know. I probably couldn't even explain it to you. Yeah, I can't. Even, yeah, I can't do that. I I think I've quit like on two or three things in my whole life. One of those things I always tell this story was, um, and I I don't mean like quitting as in you didn't kill an elk, so you're still up in the mountains two years later, especially in public land <laughs> in friggin' Montana. But I mean as in if you're planned a 20-day hunt, there's a good chance I'll and I'm unsuccessful. There's a good chance I'll come out on 21 or 22 and miss my flights and whatever else. But one time was I had Laura Zera, mm-hmm. and she's like a survivalist. Right? Oh, yeah. She's like she's kicked ass and naked and afraid, naked and afraid, yeah. and stuff like that. And it's like wet and raining, and I'm like, now's the perfect time to try and start a fire with sticks, rubbing sticks together. So, like, and I've been going to that for, like, 20 minutes and I found, like, a shoulder bone of, like, a deer and I had that as the weight pushing down. I made my little bow and and it was darkening up the timber and it was getting hot and she comes over in, like, 10, 15 minutes. She's got this roaring fire going. Like, she makes this bow and she's, like, and that's what she does. And uh, I've done it plenty of times before but not with hardwood, like the Australian hardwood. Yeah. And not when it's wet and damp like that. And I'm going at it for like two and a half, three hours, cramped over. My legs are cramped. My back's like, because you're like running the, you know, like a string saw the whole time, rubbing the stick. And that was like the first time I'd ever given up on something that I wanted to do. And I like, I remember that. I'll never forget that because it was like, literally, it's like, shit, I'm actually going to give up because my friend, (laughs) I'm actually going to give up. Holy fuck. Andrew Uckles, all my kids, they were all packed up. They were ready to leave and I still had them sitting there for like an hour while I'm trying to get it going. I'm like, I have to give up. This is now not fun for anyone. <laughs> and I gave up on lighting that fire, you know, and I'll never forget that. I can't even remember what the second or third thing was, but what That's I'm enough. saying is there's something in my head that won't let me give up, you know, because no. it will say like, boy, 
if you don't do this, you're useless. Don't give up. Don't, don't give, give up. up. Yeah. And it's, I can never break a promise. If I promise you something, then I'm coming through with it 100%. Yeah. Well, like you said, they're, they're our society and the situation you're in coming up and even daily, like you're offered ways out. Technology mm. is a way out. Um, money, many of our modern ways to communicate is a way out. You could literally live, you could live in a house and never leave it and be a successful person mm. in our society. Mm. So there's many ways out. And it's like, are you willing to take them or not? You know, there's welfare. There's people. People mm. will pay your way if you you can game the system. The system is gameable for sure. Yeah, definitely. But if you're just unwilling to just relent. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like a way to live a very fulfilled life. You know, and that's like my goal is to live a very fulfilled life and bring as many people along as I can for them. You know, and it's, uh, I was t- talking to someone about this the other day and it was the guys at Mountain Ops where, you know, if you can do good, you've sort of got to look after yourself first, right? Mm. You, you get yourself in such a way that you're comfortable and then, you know, and then you can, you know, bring your wife in or your girlfriend, you can bring your kids in and, and you get to a point where you can look after all your immediate family and friends, you know, so it's like they're all happy, like, you know, it's a big positive circle and you bring everyone in. Then, you know, if you've looked after all those and in my position, then I can start looking after other people too, you know, and do, and you've done this, you know, anyone in our position can do this where it's like the, you know, I've got the keep it clean at the moment where, where I'm giving away pretty much all of my hunting gear that I've used this season. I'm giving away all of my hunting gear for anyone that gets random, pretty much randomly picked for picking up rubbish from in the back country. Because one thing I've noticed and it drives me nuts is you go back into these beautiful, you know, pristine places. And then there's like a beer can or one of those bloody helium balloon things or whatever. And it's like, fuck, this so doesn't belong here, you know? And so I can start spending energy on doing other things, you know, like promoting, keep it clean. Um, You know, I can start spending time on promoting anything, you know, a cause for cancer or anything like that. And I don't know. It's it's like, it's it's still, uh, uh, because we're trying to say it's like, it's a selfish act, but it's not because then I feel good because I've done good, you know, if I can make someone else happy and things like that. So, well, just because, there's, and I talked about this when we were announcing our new company here, Meteor Inc. About like you get up in the morning and why? Like, what's your why? Mm. Why are you doing what you're doing? And when it comes to creating stuff like this, media, you know, your social media, any any messaging where you're putting yourself out there to the world is like, do you care about the, the audience? Mm. Do you care about the people that would listen to that? And all and, and all of them in their totality. Yeah. Like I care. I kind of know what my audience is. I understand that we share values, and I understand that we share a space and hunting and we share the outside world and like do do i care about you yeah do i legitimately fucking care about you because mm. if i don't then this is all bullshit yeah totally. this is all virtue signaling and this is all me trying to look important and really special or do i really care about you mm. do i really want you to you know i know you and i know that you care yeah. and i know that your insta stories are a way to take people along and give them a window into mm what their life could be like yeah, or what they could get. From Even lovers. if they, I'm not trying to tell them to be hunters either. No. I'm just trying to say this is out there. I really enjoy it and benefit from it. You could too. Yeah. And if you don't, how about some understanding that this is where meat comes from or this is beautiful and we need to keep this, you know, public. We need to keep this land. You yeah. know, we can't just keep 
laying concrete over top of ground, you know. Yeah. And it's, I don't know, it gets forgotten because there's people in the city that don't even know that it exists. They don't even think about it. It's yeah. not part of their thought, you know, and that's, and I care for the person that I've never, ever met before. Yeah. I care for the stranger on the street. I care for those people that are walking past this building right now. They look pretty cool. They look pretty cool. They look good. But, yeah. You know, I mean, just we can, I just want everyone to be happy. Yeah. And and I think part of, that's the beauty of social media, but part of the problem is you're constantly putting yourself out there, right? You're constantly messaging around the things mm-hmm. you care about. And and then it becomes, oh, you get sponsored, it's a business, and those things yeah, start yeah. to come together mm-hmm. in a weird way. Yeah. And people can start to think, well, uh, sold out or, oh, did this. Or, well, or, you like the word byproduct. Yeah, I love it. It's just the byproduct of yeah. what I do. Yeah. You know, and if that, and it helps you do what I do, like it does. I'd do it anyway because yeah. I did. I did you were this, doing it before anybody gave you anything. Way yeah. before anyone. Yeah. I'm Australian. No one gives a fuck about Australians. <laughs> you know, that's what it's like. Like uh, Australian has never heard of a sponsorship, I a do. sponsored hunter. I do like blooming onions. You do. Mm. Yeah. Even though no one serves them in Australia, but whatever. They but um, <laughs> we're, so, we're, we're so stupid <laughs> in America, man. Yeah. What are we doing? Totally not. Uh, but that's. Because so, I wrote articles for 13 years and I never yeah. took payment for a single article for 13 years because I just wanted to promote hunting in the outdoors. I just wanted people to see that. And what sucked about the hunting magazines is hunters were buying those magazines and every now and then I'd write a – because I'd be strictly bow hunting magazines. Every now and then I'd write an article for a shooting magazine, like a gun magazine. I love those articles most, not because of what I wrote or anything like that, but because I knew there was guys that had never bow hunted before that would see the article and get bows and go out bow hunting. And then like Facebook sort of blew up. Facebook was good, but it was only my friends. Like I kept Facebook pretty personal. And I started the business Facebook and I'd notice non-hunters because they'd they'd ask questions. You knew they were non-hunters. Like, oh, where should I buy my first bow? Or is this bow any good? And it's like, that's awesome. People are getting into it. And now I've got a responsibility as well to promote yeah. it in a certain way, you know, yeah. like eating the meat, you know, practicing, making sure you do ethical shots, things like that. That started feeling good. Like that feels good, 100%. Anyone that says that doesn't feel good, well, I don't know what you're in it for, but that felt good to me that I, I was getting to push my ethics, which I knew were good, onto other people, you know, because I – I'm not like one of these controversial figures where I push like spine shooting deer or something like that. It's like the textbook stuff. Yeah. Then Instagram come along, you know, and obviously Rogan blew me up on Instagram. But even before Rogan blew me up, to have 50,000 people following and I could put the word out on bow hunting or the outdoors or eating meat or whatever it was instantly – and like half of them weren't even in the hunting. Yeah, man. Now let's do the other end. I reckon 200,000 followers of mine don't hunt, you know, and I get to put that word out, you know, the, yeah. the outdoors, public lands, eating meat, you know, yeah. hunting, fishing, everything. Did you ever feel yourself, I struggle with this and I'm open about it just because that's part of the reason I have this podcast so I can just talk through shit with mm-hmm. people I really like uh, and respect. But like do you ever feel yourself – there's like a playbook, right? There's the hunting playbook. Uh, why do you hunt? Well, here's the playbook, right? We already we know conservation, our North American model, meat, adventure, mm. sustenance, boom, bam. I don't have one thing. Yeah. 
yeah, if that's where you're going, there's not one reason why, just one reason why I hunt. You know, there's many reasons why I hunt. Yeah. You know, and it's like, it is, it's like eating meat. But sometimes I shoot things where you can't eat the meat. Yeah. You know, and it's like predator control. And it's like, well, it's just not predator control. It's that I'm an animal as well. Yeah. And what I do is I hunt, you know, and it's yeah. like it, if, and it depends where it is because some countries may not have this quite in check. But basically if you're in America and there's a tag for something and there's science that's gone behind it, there's no wrong in hunting that animal. Yeah. Screw you point. know, it, it, there's 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 nothing that you can do legally, right? In any of the countries that I've ever hunted in, like even Africa and stuff like that. And I know some people turn their nose up about hunting in Africa. It's still for a purpose. Hunt hunting has <laughs> hunters in the modern day have never hunted something where the numbers become endangered. It's actually mm-hmm. quite opposite. Whatever gets hunted has a value, and numbers are increasing. Yep. You know, and I've had like. Obviously, I've had many arguments over the years, but one lady, and I hardly ever get hunt from uh, hate from anti-hunters. Most of my hate comes from other hunters these days, where people have just got a difference of opinion, or they, you know, they've listened to some gossip or some crap like that. But this lady sent me a message, and she was saying about her domestic pig. You know, like can't believe you're in the hunting and stuff like that. And I'm like, well, you're actually talking about. A, animal that doesn't get hunted you're talking about a pink domestic pig but the only reason that pink domestic pig is here today is because of human consumption that's the only reason those cows are alive and have a life today is because of human consumption and you're saying you want to take that away like there's a much bigger picture here Mm -hmm. right there's a much bigger picture here those animals have lives and are here because the man the demand for meat they get a life because of the demand for meat. Yeah. You know, like if we put that at the human end, right, and say, look, the world's overpopulated, no more humans, no one's allowed to have babies anymore, that's denying my little girl, my kids' life. Yeah. They wouldn't be even be here today to have feelings and stuff like that. There's a much bigger picture here and it goes way further than what someone's opinion or belief or something way, is. Yeah, way There's deeper. Life. Way deeper. And then – I've, I always like to say if, if we got all the bow hunters that follow you or all like you and all your bow hunting friends in a room and we said, okay, here's the deal. Uh, white-tailed deer. You guys like them? You love them? Yeah. Can't hunt them anymore. All right. I'll fuck you. We're like, okay, let's get past that. Secondary to that, mm-hmm. do you still care about them? Do you still want them around? I'm sure the answer would be yes. Mm. I'm sure the answer would be yes. And and I think that answers the question of, of do we value the animal beyond our ability to kill it? Mm. Do we value it? Because if you told me you can't hunt elk anymore, I'd be like, that's fine, but I would love for the elk population. It's just, let's, what's the solution? You better provide me another solution where the, the value is there, the money is there, the conservation efforts are there. That's better than the one we currently have, which is hunting in our model of mm. conservation. Um, but I, I truly believe I do. Just think about this the other day. I wonder about sometimes about some fishermen. If you said, "Oh, hey, you can't catch those trout," would they? Would they still want to clean clean water, clean estuary? Would they mm. care? Would they just go back wherever they came from? I don't know that question. I'm not that big a fisherman, but I think our group people you and I know would say, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. I care. Yeah. I care. And I want it to be. There's heaps of things that I don't hunt 
that yeah. I still want around yeah. and love to see. Yeah. And but and but in in your killing, have you ever hunted the porcupine? No, no, even have I. And <laughs> yesterday we seen one on the road. I as soon as I seen it, I slowed down for it, and I yeah. was like, make sure he gets across the road. And I sort of like even parked across like double lines to make sure the other cars just couldn't buzz past me. And I flashed him, let the porcupine walked off, and make him and the kids look at me was like, fire out! That's so cool. That's I'm never going to hunt a porcupine. It's probably illegal to start with. <laughs> I've got absolutely no interest in that, but I still want to see it. Same yeah. for all the bird life and everything like yeah, that. It just comes part and parcel with what we yeah. do. What's the difference for you between a porcupine and an elk? Something you would hunt, something you wouldn't. When you look at the animal itself, is there uh, any difference? No, there's not. Yeah. There's, there's really not. Yeah. Yeah. Me either. Yeah. I don't. And that's one thing I've talked. To, we've talked about here too. Is is how do we as hunters better communicate that we care about entire yeah. ecosystems and not just. Yeah, you know, I've mountain. made a real point. I did it with the moose that I just shot in BC, where because everyone wants to go straight to the antlers, and that's not just because you're a trophy hunter or something like that. You think about antlers. Think about how amazing they are. They grow in one season. Think about the size of them, how they are. They stick off the head. They're very medieval. It's something that's bred into us as man. But I get to that moose and I'm like, look at this creature. Look at this beautiful creature. And I went, the first thing I did was I went to its ears, dude, because it's got these massive ears and they're so fluffy. And I looked at its nose. They've got a different nose. And then I went over its body, like all the battle scars, because he's a really old bull and he was like full teeth missing, like, punched out of his face uh full eye just all smashed up um and then going into some things that might people might see as a bit more gruesome but i cut him open i always check the organs on the animals you know and i and i open him up and he's got like all this liver spot on him you know like all this green like bubbly growth all over his liver he had like some dry hairy growth on his heart and it's like like that's the inside stuff and i'm like even like look at this is an amazing creature you know and but i'm also and check out the antlers they grew in one season these are all the veins that go through there you know and and it's the term trophy hunter nearly doesn't exist anymore well i don't know anyone that hunts just for a trophy i don't know that i don't know anyone that does that but a lot of hunters you can't eat the antlers. That's usually what gets displayed in the house. So you're yeah. like trophy hunter. And the antlers is, you know, so amazing that usually they're at the forefront of a photo, you know, and it's like, and I've seen you doing the trophy hunting, uh, what is trophy photo 2.0? Grip and grin 2.0. Grip and grin, yeah. That's it's right. where you just hold the meat. That's it, which is cool. And it, and it is. That is, if you, in a sense, that's a trophy in itself. Like, look at the meat. But you eat the meat and it disappears and everything sort of disappears except for, bone hide and the antlers or horns or whatever yeah. it is so they usually get put on display and and i've never kept something to to have other hunters or people go wow look at the size of that i've only ever kept anything like antlers or hide or photos even memory wise you know like and it's like it's become like a respectful thing you know like i feel like that's like respecting the animal yeah. like you know, but some people, different opinions, feel like that's the complete opposite. You know, that's not respect by putting a dead animal on the wall or something yeah. like that. Well, I think part of my part of that group in two point is not to say don't do the one. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah. But, but it's it's to say like it's a perspective thing. It's yeah, to, it's to get people thinking about. I hundred percent got it. It's like, yeah. hey, cherish this. Look yeah. at this beautiful bit of meat. Like this, this is, is going to feed my family. This now. is awesome. 
and this is an evolution of our pre- not of our hunting because I think all hunters always have the sensibilities that you have most mm. all the ones that I would consider hunters people mm. in my group there's other people that are assholes we'll deal with them in, in other conversations but people that are like you and I who have the values that you and I do are struggling now to to define how we tell our story yeah right and part of it is just let's evolve to the 2.0 to 3.0 presentation of a yeah. dead thing because there's nothing that I've ever run across. I've thought about this at length, and I know you probably have too. Nothing like the grip and grin to take what you think it represents mm. and what you know it represents because it's you and you're there with the animal and all the things you just said. It represents your reverence and respect for that animal. It represents why you go and do what you do. It represents mm. this great achievement of all these enriching things in your life. And then someone else looks at it and they see a smiling asshole. Yeah. And his trophy. Like that's it's 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 on us. It's it's just gonna oh, be definitely. on us. I think our platforms, our new platforms are definitely helping a lot. Because you know, you get a hunting magazine and there's only you know, say you get three pages for an article. Well, there's only so many photos you can put in those three pages and everyone wants to look at the animal in all of its glory. That's right. Now that there's formats like meat eater what steve's doing and steve gets to show a lot like he gets to show all the effort that goes in to just to get into the point where you see the animal then he gets the, the the animal dead on the ground if he's if he's successful and you see that quick image you know there's the animal whatever then it jumps to because it's a much a lengthier platform to cutting it up and cooking and eating it and like this is life this is why we're here today this is why there is man and with my platform and especially doing the, the Instagram stories, do you know how many messages I get that are like, holy dooly, I didn't know it took that much. You know, like climbing the mountain, camping back there, all the organisation, getting it killed, getting it out, getting it cut up, you know, getting it to the freezer, getting it to the pan. That definitely that platform that we can show things on now, yeah. you know, and then you've got guys like Cameron Haynes and John Dudley and yeah. stuff like Remy Warren at the forefront of it and like Rogan's notorious for showing the meat you know and just showing a much bigger picture where it's not like we just drive out there shoot a deer off the back of a truck load it up you know drink some beers it's not like that's hollywood well yeah i mean you got somebody like shane dorian right you need somebody like joe rogan these are people that are at the top of their game and they had like not not in hunting not in hunting shane's a pro surfer and joe's a pro talker (laughs) (laughs) just a pro and everything just a a fucking pro but they're those guys, that's adult onset hunting is yeah. what that is. They, they took up hunting when they were intellectually able to mm. process what they were doing. And what always enlightened me about their output on social media is that neither one of those two people, they didn't get, Joe and Shane didn't get together and be like, let's not share grip and grips. Mm. Let's not share dead animal shots. Let's mm. just share meat. and Let's share the camaraderie. And let's share the things that we know are important. They did it opposite of mm. each other. You know, part of it was a reaction to society and a reaction to a little bit to how, how people would react to Joe Rogan and a dead elk on his mm-hmm. Instagram would probably not be great. But I think they also were forced to eliminate that from their output, their communication, and focus on the things that really did enrich. Yeah, what they show doing. the bigger picture. They show the bigger picture. Yeah. Now, again, I think it's not as organic as... as is all that because they know the controversy that comes up if you post mm-hmm. something a dead animal, but they still 
are are successful hunters and everybody knows it and they're promoting the sport without yeah. the side that became controversial without hunters even understanding how it became yeah controversial. and it just doesn't go well with their platform because yeah. i know a couple of times and joe's had a kill and i've been like hey is that okay if i share that and he's like yeah go for it because my platform's a bit different yeah. like i'm known as a hunter you know it, it comes along a, a lot more acceptable on my end and Whereas if you don't have the bigger picture like some of their audience, and I think their audience does have the bigger picture now, but if you don't have the bigger picture and then it's just like that photo with the animal there and you're standing behind it smiling, whatever, that is a bad image. Yeah, hunting that is awesome. That is a bad image. Put that in a newspaper somewhere, bad image. Put that in a hunting magazine or outdoor magazine, then it's fine. That's there might good. be some people that don't agree with yeah. it. But I've built my audience now that – and there's no shock horror in it. I don't mean it in that sense. But sometimes I'll just put sort of a bloody photo up. Like this is normal. This yeah. is natural. And I don't get any negative reaction because yeah. I've built them. They they know everything they know. else that's yeah. involved in it. They're not wondering why you're doing what you're yeah, doing. Yeah, that's just not it. Yeah. You know, and and because I'll say it now, like if I put in that much effort and I get something killed, then I usually am happy. I usually am smiling. Absolutely. You know, and it's not like, it's not the, ha ha, I killed you, sucker. It's not that smile. Yeah. It's not that. I'm like, that was a good, quick death, put in a lot of effort. It's finally paid off and happy. But even I've tried to not do the grip and grin anymore, you know, and not because of what you've done, just because I start thinking about the image. Like, yeah, I am happy, but I don't have to do that. You know, I'll still hold the the animal and stuff like that, and but I'm you show everything else as well. Yeah, you know, cutting yeah. up the meat. And- That's all I've ever said. I mean, we have a from our Lanai trip this mm. last, you know, six months ago or however, less than that. Um, we've got a a thread going, the text thread. Oh yeah, yeah. Where it's me and all the people we've mentioned and all the people mm-hmm. on that hunt, and we when we kill an animal, we send everybody a photo. We all understand on that text thread what that is. Yeah, definitely. We have total perspective of yeah. that all of us are conscious. We've all hunted together. We all know what we're all about. Mm. And But so we can share those photos and there's no loss of perspective. There's mm. no context that we need. We know what's going on. We're excited for each other. Hey, here's a simple but very meaningful gift idea for your mom or grandparent who lives across the country. These are great, dude. These are really nice things to give to people. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things they can't be there for, from family vacations to their grandkids' graduation. Let's say your mom comes out. You take a bunch of pictures of your mom with your kids or whatever. When she goes home, you can greet her at home with all those pictures you just took on the frame. And you can also keep her up to date by updating the frame from afar. It's all done online. It's a ton of fun. Comes with unlimited storage and simple controls on the frame so you can upload as many photos as you want and mom can pick the perfect one. See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, The Strategist, and Wired. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. That's A-U-R-A Frames.com. Make sure you use the promo code MEATEATER because for a limited time, you can get $20 off their best-selling frame with that code. The code being MEATEATER. AuraFrames.com, promo code MEATEATER. O'Reilly Auto Parts are in the business of keeping your car on the road. 
At O'Reilly Auto Parts, they offer friendly, helpful service and the parts knowledge you need for all your maintenance and repairs. Man, I'm always swinging through my uh, local O'Reilly Auto Parts to get stuff ranging from car parts and accessories to boat batteries. They've got thousands of parts and accessories in stock, either in-store or online, so you never have to worry if you're in a jam. And if you're a do-it-yourselfer and need a specialty tool to finish the job, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and ask about their loaner tool program. Simply pay a refundable deposit and borrow the right tool, then get your deposit back when it's returned. That way you don't have to go buy some you know super expensive thing that you need like once every five years. You just borrow it and get your refund back. Need your windshield wipers replaced, a brake light fixed, or quick service? They'll help you find the right part or point you to the nearest local repair shop for help. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today or visit O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. That's O'ReillyAuto.com slash meat eater. Lately, I've been telling you guys about Land.com, the site that can help you find that little patch of ground to call your own where you can do all the hunting, fishing, hanging out with family you want. Land can be a great investment. Getting your own piece of land is something that can both generate income over time and also generate a lot of memories for generations to come. It's an investment you get to use and enjoy and take care of while it works for you. And any good investor will tell you to start investing sooner than later. Well, they've got hundreds of thousands of rural listings from all across America. Land.com can help you find properties for hunting, fishing, a lake house, a hobby farm, or if you just want to start a rental business slash family compound as a way to better secure future generations. Land.com will also help connect you with the right agent that specializes in rural real estate. So enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. Outside of that, it's a little sketchy. Definitely, yeah. It's a little, yeah. and you've you've seen that. I've seen it. We've all seen it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I just came out and said it in a way that probably early on was a little bit touchy for some people. But I, I truly do feel that the only conversation that matters is how do we better represent the thing that yeah. we do. And even if like guys like you and and others who do represent it very well, how do we still do it better? Mm. How do we lead the charge? How do mm. we say like? Here's a question we ought to ask. This is I don't know how to do it. I'm not telling everybody you have to do it the same way, but here's a question we ought to be thinking about. You know, here's something that bothers me. Mm. Um, and that's, that's it's a better promotion. Yeah, for our pastime. Yeah, I mean, is there it something that is. something you see right now that bothers you in our community? Something that you, I'm I might even start a segment like the shit bothers me, and that's the yeah. segment where we just talk about what what's I, something that you see that's thing, bubbling up. I I. It's like the whole Yeti NRA thing. It's like we're constantly looking for, not me, some people, and it seems like a good population of the outdoor industry is constantly looking for something to be angry about, something to constantly jump on the bandwagon about. And the whole, like whether I was sponsored by Yeti or not, that one really bothered me because I was like, here we are with an outdoor company that puts so much into the outdoors and what we do and we're trying to kick them out to let someone in that, possibly won't put that money into the outdoor industry you know and it's like it just seemed like uh, a bitch fest for social media that's what it was and we're constantly looking for one i missed the one on the not the whole nike thing or whatever it was but then there was that one and like it's like any day someone else could be next yeah, yeah. you know i just spent time like there was the whole under armor one it's like there's constantly we're 
there's constantly something coming up and who trashes us the most are ourselves hunters like we're the ones to air our dirty laundry the most you know like these aunties must be on the sideline just rubbing their hands together going brilliant look at them look at them we're gonna divide them you know and it's like and i actually wrote a post and i was like this isn't something that we have to lose friends over or turn against each other or anything like that you know like let's run it course on its own without us adding as much trash to it as we can you know and blowing up coolers or or the other end, hating on the NRA, yeah. you know, or whatever. It's like we don't have to do that. Like yeah. all we're doing is breeding more hate within ourselves. Yeah, That's not healthy. That's one thing that I learned growing up out, out of all that. Like you'll breed your own hate. You'll breed your own misery within yourself with negativity and stuff like that. And like yeah. anyone talking shit about me at the moment, like – you're just hurting yourself. You're just wrecking your own mental illness. Yeah. You know, like you, why is people caught up in my shit? Yeah. Like why are you caught up in anyone's shit? Like, Well, it's a, and in our industry is a small world, mm. right? And I think you and I both work hard to try to be respected by our peers and mm. like really try hard to be understanding of what everybody's thinking and, you know, try to do the right thing. Mm. But you're never, like you're just never going to get everybody. No, hundred percent. Especially in your situation, yeah. You know, and I realize that too. That's why I'm. I always say, like, I don't want everyone to get into hunting, but if I can build some thought and understanding from people that don't hunt towards the hunting community, not me. I'm happy doing what I do. I don't care whether you hate it or love it. But if that helps the overall outdoor industry, the hunting community, that yeah. there is understanding, and like that's. Joe Rogan's done that better than anyone oh, yeah. ever in the history of mankind unless there was some massive civilization before we come <laughs> that we don't know about. And there was like a Joe Brogan. Joe Brogan. Something, but, we should maybe create it. for Joe to, to spread the word how he has with his audience is yeah. massive. Like there's a massive understanding there, yeah. you know, whether they hunt or not because some people can't hunt. Yeah. Like, like they live in the city and they've got other things happening and they've got no desire to or whatever it might be. But at least there's understanding from those people that they, when they see a hunting image, you know, that, that there's just not hate streaming out of them. Yeah. You know, the, the, the extreme antis will never get them. Who wants to? And, it's, and I think we sort of need extreme antis as well because they keep things in check as well. Yeah. Um, and it's so complicated, you know. There's no one answer. There's no one. No. It's hunting is so complicated. Yeah, I always say that. We've picked this very complex thing to do. Oh, very complex. Like this isn't. This is not a roller coaster. No. You don't get on and have fun and get off with no effect on the world. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You get on and you get and you have your fun. Mm-hmm. And you know, Steve and I, Rennell and I, always say you. He says you wouldn't do it if it wasn't fun. Mm-hmm. And you have your fun. You have your adventure. And at the end of the day, something is dead. Mm-hmm. Like some fucking thing that used to be on the earth that you didn't put there now is gone. Yeah. And the virtuous thing about it, what we do is that we had a hand in doing it and we're aware of it. Definitely. When so many folks are unaware yeah. of their effect. But yeah, I mean, I think we, we certainly, I think we certainly as a community have crested that mm. wave. Mm. Like we, people get that we get it, mm-hmm. get that they're, that we're seeking some level of virtue in what we do. Like we mm. understand that we're killing shit and we're yep. not just flipping like, ah, fuck it. Yep. Moose. See ya. I feel like hunting's made me an animal lover. And and so that can be confusing to some people. Like you yeah. love, you say you love animals, but you, you hunt them. 
And because Kim's exactly the same. Kim like loves animals, like extremely loves animals, and I do as well. But I also know where meat comes from, you know, and I and I want meat in my life. Like it sounds silly, but I want meat in my life. I want to yeah. eat meat. And if I'm going to do that, I want to go out and get it myself. And I want to realize what that animal was. And I want to be, I want my hands, you know, or my wife's hands to be the ones that harvest that meat, that cut that meat, that take that meat, you know. And, and like, especially with filming and everything like that these days, you know, I just feel like when something's filmed, I'm like, yeah, just chill out. I want my time now with the animal. Like I want to take it in that I've done this, I've killed this. And and it's not take it in and realize you've done this as in you bad person. Like I completely understand that that's fine, you know, and that's natural. Like natural is a very good word for that. Yeah. That's natural. Human killing an animal to take its meat's very natural. And to be at that point and sort of bask in it in a sense, you know, of all the realization, that's actually a beautiful moment. You know, yeah, it's not it's pretty awesome. It, it <laughs> is. It's, it's so hard to explain because it is such a complex thing it's so hard to explain but there's there's some feeling that comes with that that you can't get from anything else yeah what where's this thing at uh, in 10 or 15 years where's where's this thing at for your kids what do you Um, think what do you think they're gonna go through because i think we just had them on (laughs) yeah i think my kids are extreme they're awesome um like where i think about this with my son a lot like where is this going to be for them when they're at a formative age what will hunting look like for them what environment are they going to be in i don't know i feel like i'll be because we've thought about going off the grid a lot for before even all this social media because this sort of blew up i never really asked for this sort of following or anything I never ever thought that I'd get it. You know, I never wanted it. You know, it's just I just wanted to promote hunting, even if that was only four friends and some family seeing it. And for the blow up, because I'm actually very usually a private person. I don't like crowds, like like most of my hunting solo has just seen. And to have now all these other people that sort of get a voice or look into my life, it's not something that I ever wanted. So, and me and Kim have always been like that. Like we'd love to live off the grid, grow our own vegetables, fruit, harvest our own meat, still have domestic stock. It wouldn't be all wild meat. Like we'd have chickens and pigs and things like that as well, but lots of wild harvest and just really live off the grid, like our own water, our own energy, you know, whether it's solar or turbine. And I always felt like time moved a lot slower when you're, because it does yeah. when you're out in the country. Oh, it does. Definitely. Time moves a lot slower. Time seems better. Everything seems more valuable. You know, you don't get this is a rat race still. Yeah. Like I might go off the grid every now and then, like when I go BC moose hunting or backcountry in Montana or Northern Territory like Arnhem Land and like that is off the grid. But then you come back into a bigger rat race than anything because, you know, emails, bills, things like that that have gone unchecked in that time. And I don't. It's not real quality of life. It is. Oh, life's freaking well, awesome, dude. Well, like, like, I'm. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying it could be better, you know. And that's more suited to me, especially with my upbringing. Like, I've cut family out of my life. Like my own father, my own blood. I've cut him out of my life. So it's hard to let strangers in, just on that very fact alone. Of course. Um. So I don't know. My kids might live off the grid. That might never happen. I don't. You know. I don't know, but. Hunting wise, if I stayed on the direction that I'm going now for my kids, 
I don't know. That maybe they don't want to be hunters. Right now they do. Yeah. They love the idea. They love the country. They love going up to, you know, we own acreage up in the mountains at home. They love horses. They love eating meat. They love chasing, catching, killing, yeah. anything. That's what kids love to do. They love it. Yeah, I mean, it'll be a journey for them like everybody else. I mean, they may fall out of it and fall back into mm. it. And they may they may not be cool with their friends when they're in, in be able to influence when they're teenagers here, you know, yeah. and then later on in life be like, oh, I, what was I thinking? I should get back into this. Yeah. You know, I should find this thing again. But they're Some- certainly <laughs> going to be challenged more than you were yeah. coming up. And I was because I, you know, I'm shit 32 and you're a little, you know, in this country, shit, I on my generation probably our generation the first mm. generation that couldn't just be hunters anymore yeah we had to be at some level messengers for our thing yeah and that's when society kind of became it became this negative thing mm-hmm. you know almost like ar-15s and, and other things that have been demonized or have been misunderstood and america's actually coming from australia to america america's actually got a much greater population that's understanding of hunting even if they yeah. don't because they've got such a big population of hunters right. and it's like advertised everywhere during the season in australia it's not it's like being kept on the down low you know there's so much more misunderstanding towards hunting in australia and and just no knowledge that it even happens at all that it's tough australia virtually has zero public lands to hunt yeah. on as well so it's like private you got to get private permission a little bit of private la- the public land that has come on boards from what I've heard, it's really not great for hunting. It's just, it's not the same culture, you know. Even though Australia was like, you know, <laughs> all convicts basically and like, you know, they would have to hunt for food and yeah. grow up eating rabbit and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, we just got back from Hawaii. I mean, Hawaii is mm. a similar place. I mean, the, the as it's explained to me, like the native Hawaiians feel some ownership of lands. Mm. So if you have a private ranch mm. and you say don't come in, they're coming in. Yeah, yeah. And so poaching isn't, it's does not the same feeling as it is here in the yeah, mainland. Yeah, yeah. And so each scenario has its own value systems and its own way of doing things. And mm. we certainly are lucky. I think the 14 or 15 or how many million hunters that are in this country are lucky people. Oh, definitely. They're it's lucky amazing. People. I said it to Kim. Kim hiked right up into the, the backcountry in Montana with me just you know, three or four days ago and through public lands the whole time and we never seen another person, which was really cool. And I stopped for a second and I'm like, do you realize how good this is? Like we didn't have to, you know, harass a farmer, you know, <laughs> to try and get permission. We didn't have to like take him a cart and a beer and say, you know, we'd love, you know, We'd love to be able to hunt here, you know, what's the chances? And you go for all the effort and drive and he's like, nah, we don't let anyone on. We were actually just being able to buy a tag, look up on Onyx Maps where the public <laughs> land was that we could yeah. hunt in and hike in there. And I'm like, every bit of that view that you can see right now, we can hunt any of that. Like there's a million acres back here. We can go and hunt any of that. Like yeah. the, the thing, the scary thing is, public land getting taken off us even if it's slowly by slowly that's why everyone has to fight so hard yeah. for it because coming from someone that you know doesn't have public land to hunt on back home basically that's absolutely amazing yeah yeah no i i've said it many times and continue to say it like waking up in the morning in montana mm. is a different feeling mm. i live in texas i lived in illinois i live i grew up hunting public land not even really knowing what it was mm. 
But in my 20s, I've lived in two places where there wasn't shit. Yep. And when yep. there was, it was kind of depressing to go on. Oh, it's small tracts right. of land mm-hmm. with a lot of hunters, not a lot of game, yep. and a lot of bullshit. Yeah. And so you, you public lands becomes this this degraded piece mm. of hunting property, and the private lands become this these paradises for for game and for yep. hunters and stuff like that. So that's I mean, it's not elitist because because homesteading and land ownership is that's what our world does. I mean, mm-hmm. we stake we stake our ground, and that's what that's what you and I want to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, the concept of, of wilderness that's shared is yeah. You need so that public land because one thing, like back in Australia, and I get bombarded with questions like, "Where can I go? How should I get private access? I can't get private access." And the feeling of wanting to hunt, like it's almost spiritual. It yeah. is spiritual. Yeah, it's nearly like someone saying you can't practice your religion, right? And so that's what's happening in, you know, that happens in a lot of countries and stuff like that. And Australia was one of them, is one of them, where there's guys that are dying to go hunting. They're destined to go hunting. They can't get access to somewhere. Like that is a horrible, horrible feeling. And in America, to be able to just be like, uh, I'll, you know, go and buy that over-the-counter tag, general, you know, here's all this area. I can go. Even if there's no game, right? Like we all want to find game. But even if there's no game, you get to go out and go hiking. And yeah, but you're going to be the one to find out if there is. Yeah, a game. yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody's going to tell. I don't yeah. go over there. No, exactly. like, oh, let me let me check it out. Let me check it out. And Never. then <laughs> one thing I've seen a lot of hate for lately is guys that hunt ranches, private ranches. You know, like sort of belittling them. Yeah, and you know, hunting these elite spots. You know, and and. Uh, Joe's name come up a couple of times because he hunted where wherever he hunts in CA, and I'm like, you, there's you got to think that Joe's probably got a lot of money, but not a lot of time. Why of wouldn't he go he and does. do that? I got a lot of time. I can spend time on public land, and I just what did I do last year? Twenty seven days, and yeah. I killed a bull on day twenty seven. Right? Sometimes that's what public land can be like. Yeah. So if you didn't have the time but the money. Why wouldn't you go and pay a rancher to go and hunt on his place that doesn't get hunted to death and you're going to get onto game, you know? And there's still no guarantee. Yeah, there's still hunting. But yeah, I mean, we were talking about this. I run into this subject way more than any other, and it pissed me off. Mm. It's starting to get old. And I've been guilty of it before. Like, what's that guy? Oh, he's on private land and talking shit. And, and recently I realized, like, what an a-hole I was mm. for thinking that or oh, putting yeah, down yeah. somebody. Like, come on, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. These are people, people like Joe Rogan or Cam Haynes. Cam Haynes especially. Let's take Cam, for for example, because mm. people love to talk about that guy. Mm. And I do too because I think he's a great human being. Like, 100%. Outs- outside of his, you know, I've spent time with him. You spent time with him. Yeah. Outside of his Instagram, you erase that from the earth, yep. and that's a good, outstanding that's human, a good fellow, one hundred percent. Yeah, and so beautiful teeth. Yeah, nice teeth. Very white. White as mm. your shirt. It's a, <laughs> kind of. You think they're real? Yeah, yeah, they're real. There's no need to doubt There's, it. No, um, but here's Cam. Right, so Cam goes out. He he came up in this industry, hunting DIY. I mean, he wrote books. He was the DIY hunting guy. He wrote for Eastman's Hunting Journal. Mm. This is that that was Cam. Yeah, okay. Ice Cube wrote a song about him. Yeah. It's like, I started this gangster shit. shit. This the motherfucking thanks I get. <laughs> mo money, mo problems. <laughs> yeah. <mother> yeah. <laughs> we no, should just Cam, end this by Cam, singing. Cam's one of the OGs. Yeah, so 100%. here's an OG. He's done his time. Who's earned he's it. He's still doing his time. Earned it and done his time. He works a nine mm-hmm. to five. He 
He loves to kill big elk. That's what he likes mm-hmm. to do. And he goes on on a uh, place like the Deseret or other ranches, and he does that. And he promotes hunting, and he promotes his love for it, and mm-hmm. that's what he does. And if you have a problem with that, you have a problem. Yeah, yeah, 100%. It, and if you can't respect that this guy is like, some way graduated yeah. to be able to do that. Yeah, He's yeah. earned his keep to be able to do that. I'm not sure what I can do for you. Yeah. The thing is, if Cam didn't get that opportunity to hunt one of those ranches, he'd just go and do the public thing. Of course he still would. still kill bulls. He's refined his hunting to the point where just like Joe, yeah. they now have, they have limited time. Mm-hmm. They know what they like to do. They define what they want to do. They have the money yep. and the time and the, and the friends to help them do the things mm-hmm. they want to do. And that's what they do. Mm. Is that what, Ranella does or I do or you do no but it ain't wrong yeah 100% it is yeah. not wrong yeah. and I've been guilty I'm sitting here and I have been guilty of, of criticizing people for that in the past yeah. and very recently I realized I was wrong yeah and that is wrong I did the opposite because I'd be like the first time I hunted North America was New Mexico and I was like I'll probably only do this once I want to do it right and I bought a landowner tag and hunted like unit 12 in new mexico and seen good bulls every day and was like holding out for a 350 bull end up killing like a big 350 on like day seven or eight or something heaps of effort went in it was a hunt of a lifetime like i still recall that hunt as one of the best hunts that i've ever been on and i then i went the opposite because i was like then i didn't have as much money and free finance to do sort of stuff like that. And I realized that, shit, America's just a flight away, North America. And I realized that I love the country and the people here and the game and stuff like that. And like I've hunted elk every single year since. And now that I've got that time because of my business, you know, my business is turning over and paying bills. Yeah, if you were running that really understand. No, that's right. I just pay for a good tag every year. But now that I've got the time and I can come to America for the whole of like the whole of the season or like five, six months or whatever it is, now I realize I can spend the time going back into the back country and the remote romance of that. I love doing that. But even this trip, because the hunting's been so tough, there's been times where I'm like, shit, I wish I just took Kim to like a private private ranch because yeah. she's never she's hasn't had the opportunity to even act on a stalk or something on a bull this whole time. And she's been busting ass. Like she's been going harder than any guys that I know, like hunting and wanting it so bad. There was I did a video where she's like crying. I saw it. She wants it that bad. And she, and, and it's not something they can just go and get. You gotta yeah. you gotta chase it so hard and it still yeah. mightn't even happen. And so there's been times where I'm like, shit, I just wish I went to a ranch. You know, and I'm not talking in Australia and New Zealand, they call uh, high fence is what a ranch is, like close yeah. range. That's not what I'm talking about. That's yep. never on the cards. But a ranch is in somewhere private that doesn't get thrashed by, you know, the public and stuff like that. It's something a bit more elite. But then it's like, no, I've got time. It's next yeah. year. But it's, it's exactly what you said. If I was still running my business and I had like, a week, two weeks or whatever to come over here and get a bull killed, I wouldn't be doing public land. Yeah. Because I, I haven't been to public land yet where it's like there's a bull, there's a bull, there's a bull. No. Yeah. I haven't been there. Well, and somebody, yeah, then that's the situation that, you know, uh, when you go to some of these bigger ranches that you get into mm-hmm. and it's a different experience. And I've done it a few times. And for me, it's like, yeah, I get it. If this is the only time I had to hunt, I mm-hmm. might do it this way, but that's not for me. Yeah. 
That's and not it, for no, me to and sell somebody else. That's not right. To do it. That's no reason to hate on it. No, a hundred percent. Man, it's, it's still one hundred percent hunting. Yeah, like and that's what I've sort of seen a lot of lately. You know, and it's like, or people will try and uh, pit me against someone else. Yeah. you know, or someone else against me, and it's like, what do you mean they don't? They don't want to do public land. Not my spots. My spots yeah. are shit. My spots take a month to find a bull to kill. Yeah, you know, and I'm not saying there's awesome public land spots out there. One hundred percent, but you still need time to put in the time, and effort. Yeah, and it's that, and then there's no laziness in, in that. No. There's no laziness in it. There just isn't. There is a circumstance. Yeah, and like you said, I, I really, I don't even need to say the guy's name, but we have a mutual friend. Like we got in a, a vehicle right after we came back from Lanai, and we were riding around and bitching mm. the whole time, mm. talking about this and that, hunting this and that, and this person doing this and that. And then I just was like, wait a minute. What are we doing, man? Mm-hmm. What are we doing? Yeah. Why are we talking? <laughs> these are people, a lot of these people we know. We know they're good people. We know yeah. they're good hunters. And like we turn back this shit. Turn yeah. back this negative energy. I had a camp that we, I, this is in Australia, and I we'd just gotten into camp, and it was awesome. There was deer everywhere, and the hunt was kicking off, and I was with a couple of really good guys. And um, the property owner there, who was also a bit of a hunter was like real negative minded and talked a lot of shit about people that I did know and that I didn't know. And like, I just judge people off me, you know, like it's all right to be aware of something. Like you say, Oh, such and such is like a bit stabby. He might try and rape you in the night. That'd be nice (laughs) to know, but I'm still gonna, (laughs) I'm still going to assess that person. Yeah. Off my own dealings. And if I haven't had any bad dealings, there's no need to hate on anyone. Oh. And even if I did, I just leave it. I just let it go. Just yeah. don't associate with that person anymore. Anyway, the property owner's talking shit and one of my buddies is talking shit. And it's like three hours of just negative trash talk and every hunter under the sun that they've never met themselves either. Mm. And I got up in the morning and I packed up and my mate's like, uh, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm going, dude. I didn't come here for this. I come here to have a good time, you know, and go hunting and all that shit talk last night. You know, you're talking about guys that have kids just like me. You're you're saying things that have been said against me and you know they're not true. So how do you know they're not true about true about this other yeah, person? Yeah, yeah. Like people are saying the same rumors, rumors and shit about me and he's he's like just took a step back and lucky he's like an intelligent dude. Because he took a step back and realized that it was long, wrong and he's never been like that again. He just got caught up with that negativity, that trash-talking people. And I think now that he's met a few of the people that he was trash-talking, he's realized they're no different than me and him, you know. Oh. They're just people like us, you know. I tell people all the time my job prior to the one I'm – this building we're sitting in now was to really know all those people that influence other people mm. and, and, and to get to know them and to bring them in and, and – you influence people. It's my job to know you and assess mm. your value to a company. Yeah, it's yeah. a weird yeah, situation totally. anyway. Yeah, but what I took from it is is that there was very, very, very few people, and you saw this. I, you know, at some point could fill a room with five hundred people that I knew, and mm. they were all in the hunting industry. Mm. There was like very few people that I would look at now and and use the word hate or even dislike yeah 100 percent. like maybe different people maybe yeah. not gonna be best buddies yeah. maybe whatever but now that i look at it and and just like you said like nobody told me this but i had it in my own mind like come on dude the negativity you think you're virtuous and they're like mm-hmm. you're gonna you know act like you have some real opinion 
and then in private with your buddies, you're going to start running your yap about people. Yeah. Like, come on, man. Yeah. Get we don't need real. to do that. Get real. Yeah. And if anybody listening to this is doing that, take a step back yeah. for a minute. I always like, think wait. of who's is benefiting. Yeah. Is this benefiting anyone? Yeah. Because if it's not, why? why and, yeah, that goes, this, this whole conversation line goes back to when I ask you like, hey, what's it look like for your kids? And your first reaction was, well, there's a lot of hate and there's a lot of yeah. divisiveness out there. Like mm. we as a community are just regular folks that like to do similar things can always point to the divisiveness, whether it's in our own lives, or whether it's on social media or wherever we're living or traveling and be like, there's the divisiveness right over there. Mm. I don't want that. Like for me, I'll be honest, like, the NRA is a divisive, a very good organization that does a lot of good stuff. But the divisiveness is where I get off mm. the ship. Yeah. That's where I get off. Yeah. And in even my own personal life and in my dealings, it's like, if you're a divisive figure, I'm off. Yeah. I'm out. Yeah. It's not worth it. There's nothing mm. worth that. Mm. And even in now that we have a media company of sorts, to be devices to get eyeballs, right? If we were sitting here saying a bunch of controversial things, we more people might listen to this thing. Yeah. And we, you know, so we, but it's, it's that shallow audience then. Yeah. You know, and that's what, I, that's, that's what I see a lot happening of, you know, it's just whatever gets a raise, yes. you know, whatever grabs an audience at the time. So people will say and do stupid things. And if you're, uh, if you're like a name, you know, you basically become an item, you know, and people just talk about you like you're another item, like yeah. Cameron Haynes, Joe Rogan, myself, whatever. Like you don't have a family, like you don't have feelings, that you're not human, that you don't care for people and things like that. And when it gets to that point where people start talking about you like that, that's the point where I'm trying to get off. Like, yeah. okay. I get you know, off this shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It ain't good. Yeah, no, I – and that's, you know, again – a lot of people listening or, you know, some people say these guys are just talking in circles around this thing. But it's it's really important when you get to your level and everybody can recognize having 200,000 people follow you around mm-hmm. is not normal. Yeah. Yeah. And so when you get to that new normal where that's your life, you got to re- like reassess what's mm-hmm. going on mm-hmm. and reassess like how do I now have to change the way I function Exactly, to make sure yeah. that this works because this is not the way it used to be. Yeah, um, and I'm not trying to be a friggin' movie star or anything like that either. You know, and that's why I keep, I keep saying I'm no different than anyone else. I make mistakes. I fuck up. I'm just a person. You know, I still love and care about everything though. So, yeah, I, I, it's just weird. I'm just because people do get it wrong. You know, they think that you're in it for the wrong reasons. You said it before, sponsorship or audience or something like that. You know, like, no. No, I'm just trying to promote our pastime and what we do and have a good life doing it and hopefully the people around me have a good life as well. Yeah, that's all you really need to do. Yeah. Well, we're going to take some questions. A lot of people are just saying thanks for doing what you do. I was reading a couple while we were talking. I oh, appreciate it. There's a guy, Jason Holiday, 545. He says, I don't have a question. Just want to say thank you for sharing all your adventures. Very inspiring for guys like me who dream about doing a hunt like that in British Columbia. Keep up all your hard work. Much appreciated. Uh, yeah, you don't have to do British Columbia. <laughs> um, British Columbia is magnificent. It is friggin' beautiful. But mm-hmm. if you're a foreigner like myself, you need a guide or an outfit 
And so we're talking about a money hunt, you know, like mm-hmm. it's like a it's a big dollars hunt to go and do that. And and it is worth it if you have the money spare, hundred percent. It's completely worth it. And when you see the um friggin' nightmare, which is like getting in there and getting out and having all those horses and camps, you can see why it costs that much. Because I think oh, yeah. people just think they charge dollars and like for the know, animal. Like, like yeah, so I went with Dustin Row, which is backcountry BC and beyond. Yeah, and people must think like Dustin's cashed up, <laughs> but you're in there just taking a private and there's jet. like twenty horses that you didn't have to feed or get in there or raise oh, or purchase fuel alone. camps, fuel, float plane. Once you get a bull killed, like a moose, getting the meat and everything out of there is it's just a logistical nightmare. So to have a business like an outfitter that runs something like that, it's a hundred percent worth it. Yeah. Um, but you need to have the money to do a hunt like that. So what I would say is is and that guy might already uh, Jason was his name. Jason. That um there's so much good public land that you can go in for nearly zero dollars into the back country and feel exactly how I felt in the back of BC. That um, if you don't if you don't have the money to do like a back country BC hunt or something like that, then just get into some remote public land. Well, did uh, here's B Shook Five best Australian accent Jordan Harbison, Cam <laughs> or Ben O'Brien? Uh, let me hear yours. Good day, mate. No, we, that's, that pretty yeah, good? that's pretty good. Yeah. Well, there's a video out there you can of me doing that drunk as a <laughs> fucking skunk. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> that, was, that was good. Your kids were like, you're famous in our family. You're yeah. the drunk one. Oh, yeah. The funny drunk one. Yeah. Oh, I'm glad we cut them short on the podcast. Yeah. They, oh, man. Noah, especially. Oh, he's full on. <laughs> that's, that's the shit. Well, I we could go through a bunch more questions. We'll take we'll, we'll look at one more here. We'll find one more good before we go. Let's see. A lot of people just can't wait. <laughs> it's very exciting. All right, uh, a lot of Rogan questions. Best Rogan hunting story. When's Rogan coming to us? But let's just stick one. Best Rogan hunting story. Best Rogan hunting story. Shit. I don't know. I I prefer the one. How do we get him to Australia? That's like a couple lot of a, questions. What do we do to get him to yeah, Australia? I don't know because I've tried all. You've sorts tried of everything shit. you can. I know America's heat's more dangerous than Australia. That's right. Yeah, and he's like carrying on like Australia's so dangerous. And then when like I think I nearly got killed five times in the first week when I was going to come <laughs> to America, and then um, I think we seen seventeen snakes by week two, and I've seen two snakes this whole year in Australia. See, maybe there's some kind of data and analytics that we can gather. Yeah. We it need something. We need, for starters, more... we need to cut like the Discovery Channel and all those channels <laughs> off that do like Australia's like 15 it's most all deadliest. It's all sharks and yeah, exactly. spiders. And... We need to kill that sat dish. And we, yeah, we need to get some real stats to him. I would say I would venture a guess that it is more dangerous to drive on the freeway in Los Angeles. Than it is 100%. to go hunting with Adam Greentree in Australia. That's 100%. just a guess. I venture that it's probably yeah, true. It's a hundred percent. It's like I said, like the whole time in the backcountry of Montana, the whole way, you're cautious of bears. Like you think you're just preparing yourself, you know, it's if get a bear it, comes. Yeah. And I'm telling Kim, you know, this is how you use the bear spray. You know, if a bear grabs me, this is what you need to do with the gun. And I've been showing her how to load the gun and everything like that. And 
you know, food storage around camp and just go, constantly going over it. In Australia, like if you go up to the Northern Territory, the only time you're talking about crocodiles is when you go up to the water. That's the only time. You camp away from the water, no talk about crocodiles. You go to the water to get you go to the water to get water, talk about crocodiles. That's it. There's yeah. the difference. Gosh. Well, I mean, we'll get him eventually. Yeah, I'd like to, I hope so. Be, I'd like to be there for maybe him. a meat eater episode. Maybe in Australia. A, just Joe. A couple of series. Just Joe just in a tree yeah. the entire time. Yeah. Unwilling to come down. Yeah, I'm supposed to do a podcast with him this trip. And oh, I was yeah. thinking about we've got a pet snake now and a pet spider, and I was thinking about taking both <laughs> of them to the studio. Yes. Releasing them in the studio, release them in the and studio. then be like, "How about Australia now, bitch?" Be like, mm, "I'm leaving," <laughs> but don't tell until it's over. Exactly, like, somewhere in your studio. Yep, I've left a copperhead, a rattlesnake, <laughs> and seven poisonous spiders. Exactly. Come to Australia now or die. Yes, that's the only be way. Hilarious. Can well, you? I've got a question for you. Yeah, um, please tell me. Ask me. Tell us a little bit about the future of meat eater. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about this a little bit on the show, but I mean, it's... Because, like, I know he's got uh, April Folk. He's coming on yeah, board, you guys which is love, one of our good friends. Love April. Yeah, she's, Fuck, so she's cool. awesome, dude. I didn't know her very well before we kind of got into this, but now I talk to her daily, and she's an amazing human yeah, being. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Oh, good Lord. Um, the future of this thing is very much what, you know, at this point, being a startup company is what we want to make it. But my one of my major goals is, like, to to, you know steer this ship to take all the good things that is happening in hunting you know for a great example is like how do we take the excitement around live hunting and instagram stories and following someone on adventure and amplify that for everybody you know how do we take the knowledge that you have or the knowledge that steve has or the knowledge that i've gained over the years and, and package that up and give it to everyone you know how do we do those things not only they've already that's been done for years. You've written articles, I've written articles. We've all done that. But I feel like this world is ripe for a different and better way to do that, especially mm-hmm. the hunting world. Cuz it's such a information-based game. If you're not informed, if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't have somebody to influence you in a positive way, you will flunk out before you even get started. And that's so much like what you do. That's what we weren't trying to do. And we've got, you know, some resources to do it and that's very much what we want to do mm. and it's all around like our why is very much like we the outdoors are sacred we all share them and we want to promote a better interaction because we know that it enriches all of our lives not just mine or yours but everybody's mm. so the natural world becomes a center point for like this communication and my job partially is to make sure the communication is better yeah and it's that's more engaging and that people can take it in, in easier ways and and that the and that we're motivated by our audience and not by anything else. Yeah. You know. That's amazing that you've got that vision and pushing it. Yeah. Well just like you, man. It's like what what do you why do you get up in the morning? What's the mm. thing that you know, I get slogged down, you know. I've got slogged down recently in some of this. It's like you gotta do this, you gotta get through this, but every once in a while I can stop and think how lucky am I to have this yeah. opportunity? If I screw it up, at least we screw it up collectively. At least I had the opportunity to do mm. it. You know, at least we gave it a shot. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. That's fine. Yeah, I'll come out of it clean. Yeah, but that's yeah, a good feeling. At least you had a good crack. And yeah, then, it's and not without some like. You would be successful anyway. But even if you're not, at least it lays a path for whoever comes behind you. Yeah, and it's worth like 
acknowledging that there is there is a void in our media space, the one that you're filling and other folks are filling, mm. and we can help amplify that, make it better, and try you know to inform people. About- yeah, I I got a message today from. Uh, a guy in Australia, Matt Rogers, who's like a legendary football player in yeah. Australia. He just did uh, um, Survivor. It's like pretty popular in Australia, TV show. I think you got yeah, we got here. one as well, Survivor. Yeah. He just was on Survivor and stuff and he's like, hey, have you ever watched Meat Eater TV? <laughs> Steve Ranella. Yeah. Uh, so freaking cool. I don't want to buy meat anymore. I want to go out and hunt my own because I've been trying to get him into a bow for a little while he's really keen but he just gets really busy obviously with his status but um and i just wrote back to him like actually i'm going to steve's office today yes collecting your own meat is the best you know and it's like it's amazing how steve's platforms influencing people you know like and it is he does it in such a way that it makes people realize like how good's that you know and it's like for a little while there it just seemed like it was the fashionable thing to do like, you know, I'm going to get a bow or whatever and go and get my own meat. And right now it's slowly turning into what I'm seeing is, no, that's life. That's that's life. life. Yeah. You know? well, I mean, I think I clearly think that the more of this that goes on, the more urbanization that goes mm. on, the more fancy coffee shops and kombucha bars and bullshit of that nature, the more people are going to long somewhere deep in their freaking bodies, mm. their souls to go and to do something raw mm. and real and bloody and dirty and they're gonna be like wait that's an option Mm -hmm. and it's our job our job is collective group all of us to make that available to them Mm. like you don't have to do it but here it is here it is in the right way yeah here it is in the way that will make you better person do you think the human race got to a point where it just got so snobby that we thought we were better than an animal for sure for sure i always think of that for sure. I'm like, we just got, we just thought we were too good sure. to be an animal. It's well, like, are you kidding? All that stuff's happening in the background still. Oh, we're just of course getting, it is. You know, pushed away from it. I always say, like, there's got to be something. And, and I venture to have like a psychologist on at some point or somebody that's able to examine this in a more thoughtful way than me. Mm-hmm. But like, when you kill something, there's a feeling that you get. When you kill something, you know that you're going to eat it. And it's a wild animal. Do you get a feeling that you can't explain? Yeah. And it is a deep and core in your DNA that this thing feels, that feels right. You feel yeah. accomplished. You feel. I feel so homed. Yeah. Like, like I'm right where I'm supposed to be. Exactly. It's the and best way I can explain it. Yeah. Good I feel luck. feel like right where I'm supposed to be. Good luck really explaining that to, if you ever read that book, Omnivore's Dilemma by Michael mm. Pollan. He says, hunting is so different from the inside than it is from the outside. Yeah. It's, like, yeah. it's almost, it's almost inexplainable Mm. you can't almost cannot conceive of what it feels like to do this and what it feels like not to do it Mm. and now we have a lot of a lot of humans that know don't know what it feels like to do it whereas you know hundred thousand generations of people that's all they knew yeah and we're into the you know 10 20 generations where people are now starting to Mm. completely move away from that and lose part of that connection yet still consume the world around them Mm. (laughs) but just not actively yeah that's so you know i think we're well this company and what you do and everybody that we just like i always say my my career is in the hunting industry hunting is my career Mm. it's not meteor it's not yeti it's not peterson's hunting it wasn't anything before that it's in the hunting world that's my career that's what i care about so you know no matter what i'm doing 
that's what I care about. Yeah. And that's at the end of the day, I don't want anybody to be like, he was a great this or that. Be like, mm. he was a great influence in the hunting community where yeah. he could do it. Yeah. It was like done. The big pitch is hunting. That's it. Not no company or laboring or label nope. or anything. I don't yeah. know if you know my current bosses will like that. I don't know if my previous ones like that, but I said it out loud. I'll mm. just keep saying it out loud. It's like that's you know, I'm dedicated to that thing and that thing is more important than where I currently sit. Mm. And maybe that's, I think where I currently sit understands that. And they, oh, definitely. hundred percent. So hundred percent brother. <sighs> I'll come to Australia. Fuck it. Yeah. I don't care. I'm not like Rogan. Yeah. Tough, huh? Except for in USC. Oh, a tougher except. <laughs> <laughs> There's a certain toughness. Uh, there is a certain I would say toughness. not toughness, just willingness. Uh, I Like I believe Joe Rogan could break my spine mm-hmm. if he wanted to in about 30 seconds flat. But also we're at the back of the comedy store one time, uh, mouse run out, and Joe <laughs> actually threw me in the path between <laughs> the him and the mouse. Of the mouse. Uh, and seems right. So there's like two different toughness and I would like to believe that I'm way, way tougher <laughs> on that degree. We'll close on that, everybody. Well, yeah. thank you, dude, man. It's always good to no, see thank you. thank you. Yeah, it was good, awesome calling Good in. to spend time with you and uh, I appreciate you, man. Appreciate you too. Hell yeah. That's it. That's all. Episode number 33 in the books. Thank you to Mr. Adam Greentree. And the Green Tree Kids, they are badasses all. Uh, Hopefully you enjoyed that conversation. You enjoyed hearing Adam's perspective on life, family, bow hunting, adventure. And really for me, shines a light on how he came up and some of the struggles as a young man that he had to go through. Uh, It is an enlightening story to me and hopefully you found it the same. Next time on episode number 34, we have legendary surfer Shane Dorian straight out of Kona, Hawaii, where I joined him at his home to talk about surfing, hunting, and chasing non-native game all around Hawaii, which we have done together many times. So come back next Tuesday morning for Shane Dorian. And in the meantime, you want to go to meateater.com slash listen. You're going to listen to this podcast, of course, but also the Meat Eater podcast which I'm pretty sure you already know about, Anchored Podcast with April Vokey. You're going to want to listen to Wired to Hunt with Mark Kenyon. And then you want to click around the website and read all the wonderful articles that are there from those folks and more. And then when you're done all that and you got some extra time, go and sign up for the newsletter. It comes out every Wednesday. It's got all the best content from our website there. So please do all those things in any order you want to. But we need you go and click around meateater.com and celebrate our new company Meat Eater Incorporated. So until next time, I'm Ben O'Brien and I'll see you. Clean and protect your firearms with Riptide Armory. Riptide, a veteran-founded business. It's dedicated to producing American-made cleaning chemicals and also dedicated to creating American jobs. And that commitment is embodied in every product that's bottled, labeled, and shipped from their Arvada, Colorado 
facility. Safe for all firearm types and surfaces. Embrace the power of American ingenuity and protect your firearms with the best. Visit RiptideArmory.com. I've been telling you guys about Land.com to help you find a place to call your own and do all the hunting and fishing and hanging with the family that you want. While owning your own piece of land is something that can generate memories, I can speak to this personally because my family, we own a couple small, beautiful little backcountry parcels. It can also generate income in both the near and long term, like starting a rental business slash family compound that can benefit both this and future generations. Check out the hundreds of thousands of rural listings from across America. Enough dreaming about it. Land.com is the place to find and invest in your open space. 